You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Welcome to this very special episode 290 of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Uh, just to keep it simple and straight, this week we had the opportunity to actually see Jodorowsky's Dune, um, the film that will be released on Blu-ray uh, later in July uh, and has been in theaters a little bit now, but we're going to be talking about that film and we're going to interview one of the producers of that film, Steven Scarlatta. So uh, look forward to that. It's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, that's going to be the show. Uh, what do you think, Will? You think it's a, think it was a, a good show, a good 290? Absolutely. A worthy <laughs> endeavor. So, cl- sure. so close to 300 now. I know. It's amazing. Sparta! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tonight we dine in hell! I can't. I can't scream uh, too loud. Of us on sleeping in the next room. So. Over well here either right now. It's yeah. Twelve forty one a.m. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. So I am the samurai, and of course, board from a good pal, Big Willie. Which you know, I should probably say that first. But this isn't a professional radio program. This is a podcast, people. Yes. This is what we do. We we bumble and stumble, and sooner or later, we'll get it right. <laughs> Two hundred ninety episodes, though. I don't know if it's going to happen at this point. Um, okay, let's get into what we've been watching. Let's, uh, let's go. I know you've probably been pretty busy this week. As a matter of fact, oh, I know you've dude. been pretty busy this week, uh, personally, yeah. because I have talked to you, so. Fuck. It's just been a week. I pretty, I was almost shut out. I, uh, just, again, really, uh, not sound like a broken record, but really trying to get our house unpacked completely, mm-hmm. because then it's the next level of upgrading things and you know customizing things and giving the boys like a superhero bedroom so it's like phase one i want to get as much done as we can before we uh before the summer because then the kids are home and i want to be able to you know do lots of fun shit with them so right uh the only thing i watched and i fell asleep four times watching it and it's not reflective of the quality of the film (laughs) is uh, a film that i really wanted to see last year before we crammed and it's uh, a touch of sin mainland chinese film oh yeah yeah um, 
it's uninstant. I think for a while there was some concern that the subs were out of sync, but I watched, and that's why I even held off watching as long as I had. And um, I quite liked it. I uh, it's a shame I had to watch it in so many seconds. I just kept falling asleep. I fell asleep on like a box spring one night and. Just, yeah, shambles, man, shambles. But, uh, yeah, a really good film. I think it's fascinating to see mainland China in film from a skilled director that isn't um, sort of a puppet for the government. Mm. Um, it's not just nationalistic kind of uh, rhetoric and silliness. Um, really good film. I highly recommend everyone check it out. Uh, it's on Instant. And, uh, yeah, there you go. Nice. That's the it. That's the Lone Ranger this week. The Lone Ranger. All right. Well, I made up for it. Uh, made up for you uh, not getting as much in this week. I got uh, nice. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight films in outside of, outside of Jodorowsky's Dune. So we'll get going here. I got uh, thirty for thirty. Bad Boys. Knocked that out of the way right after we got done recording last week. Uh, very good. I really did. I did like it quite a bit. I don't know if it'd make a top thirty, but it is uh, certainly one of the best films that I've seen so far this year. And it was great to kind of reminisce with the "quote unquote" bad boys. Of, uh, yeah, the it was quite a good one. It's weird. I can remember watching like all those highlights they show. I remember every one of those games. Oh, I know. It was one of those moments where I was like, "Wow, I lived this. I lived through this." <laughs> I was waiting for them to drive uh, Pippin's head into the stanchion, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the Isaiah ankle game. I remember. Yeah, me too. Uh, I remember a lot of those games. I just remember them all. So, but you know what's one of the weird thing was? I had forgotten about Adrian Dantley. Out of all the yeah. bad boys to forget about, I had totally me forgotten too. about him. And uh, it, it's 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 strange. It is strange because I used to always kind of make fun. I used to mock his free throw routine. <laughs> yeah, like, it was so easy to mock. You know, <laughs> looking for the little black dot on the ball. All right, uh, I watched uh, Last Vegas, which is a turd of the highest order. Uh, don't ask me why I watched it. I don't. I don't have any excuses. Uh, I, I was going to ask you on a roll, man. But yeah. Between that and uh, what's what, it called? Well, here's what it is. I I don't have a local video store anymore. They're all shut down, and I don't go to the Red Box very much. Um, so what I'll do is I'll go to Netflix every now and then. And I'll go through like the last month's new releases, and I'll just throw them all on my queue. And uh, I threw that one on my queue, but I don't even remember throwing it on my queue. And uh, it just came in the mail. And I was like, fuck. I didn't even want to watch it. I was going to send it back. But then I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll give the old turtle tab. The old, the old turtle tab there. I'll give him a little shot there, the old turtle yeah, tab. Yeah, the old turtle tab. Uh, this is easily the worst thing I've ever seen turtle tab do. And that's saying something. So, um, yeah, not a good film. It, it's really just the, the, the bad thing about this film is it's just so bland and so i mean the old person jokes are the same old you know i that hey what's going on how's that hip doing oh that's it's the knee this year there was the hip last year i mean come on oh. it's just you know i just wasn't feeling it so um yeah and you know i, I kind of wanted to see de niro and douglas work together i, that, I think that might have been the driver of wanting to see it is this seeing de niro and michael douglas in the same film i can't recall them ever doing anything together so um they're okay together but it's just you know I'm, I'm spending too much time on this film. It's turd. Don't watch it. All right. Uh, then I watched. Docu I watched. I went on a documentary streak. I watched uh, Sunset Strip, which is a documentary from I think 2012 or 2013 about the Sunset Strip in L.A. Pretty cool. Got Mickey Rourke in there. A couple other people talking about the strip and uh, you know, kind of the phases it went through from the disco and the punk into the uh, hair metal and kind of all the craziness here and there. And um, 
yeah, it's cool. It, it, it's not great, not a barn burner, but uh, maybe worth a look if you're in the mood for that kind of thing. I watched, do they mention River Phoenix? Yes, they do. They do. They do bring up the Viper Room, and they do mention the River Phoenix thing. And Johnny Depp's in it as well, so <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I watched, uh, that was on Netflix. Oh, this was on Netflix, that was, and this next one was too. Dear Mr. Waterson, this is about... Uh, the uh, gentleman who created Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, I want. Oh to... man, I want to see that. Is it on Instant? Yeah, it's on Instant now. So, oh, yeah. I was a huge. So many people of our generation were huge fan. Yeah, Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty good stuff. Uh, it's not great, but uh, it's definitely worth a look. And if you're a fan, certainly worth a look. So, um, I kind of I kind of missed the Calvin and Hobbes thing. I was a little older. Uh, yeah, but, I could see that. But my brother was into it, so I did read uh, a lot of the strips and stuff because my brother had it laying around. So uh, I had enough appreciation of it to uh, to kind of get into it a little bit, but I wasn't a diehard fan like some people are. So I think the diehard fans would like this even more. So, yeah, definitely check it out. In your case, I would recommend it. Oh, so uh, huge. I mean, every Christmas I'd get, like, the new books. Nice. Anytime someone says Spaceman, I was in my head say Spaceman Spiff. Yeah, he sold. He's. Uh, they said the documentary that he's that they have sold over forty million copies of those books, mm. and he's never licensed. Yukon Ho, thereby. Yeah, he's never licensed his material to anything. So yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. He just he doesn't believe in it. So is he in the documentary much? No, he's not in it at all because oh, uh, man. he's very reclusive. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And uh, he does pop up every now and then, but he's just not interested. So uh, yeah. He's a fascinating guy, Bill Watterson. Uh, interesting. A lot, of, a lot of interesting theology in there and, and the way he thinks. Some of that stuff's very interesting. So, yeah, it's, it's worth a look. I then checked out one that was actually really high on my must-see list last year because uh, I'd heard about it, and it's Generation Iron, which is the third pumping iron film. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. I saw you watch that. I was wondering what that was. Yeah, that's like this is like the new. This is the new deal, the new, the new sickness, the new hotness. The new Jack. Yeah. Uh, so you got some uh, some bodybuilding going on. This is good, man. This is good. I recommend it. Mickey Rourke. Somehow, some way, I did a double deuce of Mickey Rourke and documentaries this week. It was an accident, but it was awesome. <laughs> uh, Mickey Rourke is uh, narrating this, so he's got that great voice. So uh, Branch is going to work out, and uh, when he gets done working out, he's going to sweat. You know, something like that. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, it's really great. Uh, this is very this is very good. Uh, it's a high recommend for me. I don't know if it'll make my thirty next year, but it's one of the better documentaries I've seen this year. And it's still a fascinating subject, bodybuilding. So yeah, definitely check this out, man. I think you'll dig it too. Um, watched a couple of thirty for thirties, the soccer stories. They got a lot of those little half hour films, those soccer stories. Watch the myth of Galincha, Mania Galincha. Um, I think it's. It was Did the, you say these were on Instant or they were not? They were on Amazon Prime or something? What, or? these these little short 30 for 30s? No, yeah. these are actually on uh, ESPN. I don't know if they're available anywhere else right now. But okay, you watched them. Okay. Yeah, I saw Bren had been, uh, I think he posted a picture of soccer stories on uh, the group. But uh, yeah, it's like a little like a little subgenre of these 30 for 30s. So I'm all about the, uh, the, the, the world's most popular sport, soccer. And uh, this one is about Galincha. I, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I hope I am. But uh, he played with Pele. And of course, Pele got all the uh, publicity, but I think Garincha was actually the uh, uh, one of the big stars. And uh, I know when he passed, it was a big deal in Brazil. So, fascinating guy. It's a good film. It's a short film, but it's a it's a it's very interesting. Uh, you know, poor, illiterate, but he became a national hero. So, very interesting thing. It's crazy. Yeah, the World Cup's coming up in less than two weeks, man. Yep. Yep. So, Pele's son was just busted for. Th- he just got sent to prison for thirty three years, man. Jesus. 
For drugs. Yeah, oh, it's been man. a bad egg for a while, it seems. Oof. And then I watched another one called Ceasefire Massacre, which is about the uh, the year I think Ireland was playing one of their big games, Northern Ireland or maybe just Ireland. I can't remember. And forgive me for those of you who love the game, and I don't, you know, I don't follow it, so I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, but uh, there was a ceasefire supposedly in Ireland, and uh, some people got shot up in a bar while watching the game. Uh, pretty crazy, pretty crazy stuff. This one's done by Gibney, Alex Gibney, who's a very prolific uh, documentary filmmaker. It's a, it's a, it's a nice little thirty minutes, not as good as the Manya Glincha film, but it's it's pretty good. Uh, and last but not least, I watched Machete Kills. It's on Instant as well. That's why I watched it. <laughs> uh it's a lot of, it's the same thing it's it's essentially the same film as the first film i i, I have to say though I, I laughed a little bit more at this one in spots uh because some of the acting is so crazy and i didn't know how they would work all these actors in but of course once you see there's a there's a gimmick in the film and once you find out that gimmick you're like oh well that's interesting that that was the way to do it because i didn't know how they were going to use these people like lady gaga and and what does she play a nun or something what's her well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say in case you ever watch okay. it so uh, because it's actually part of the fun of the film. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. But but it, 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 it's fine. It's it's hyper violent. It relies a little bit on CG. But this one's actually directed completely by Robert Rodriguez, so I think it's a little better made than the first one. Uh, and I will say it looks great. Uh, well, outside of this dodgy CG in the background sometimes, and some of the other spots, but some of the close up stuff and high definition stuff and those cameras he uses, it looks really good. So it's not great. Same ballpark as Machete for me, maybe like a six, maybe six point two five, somewhere in there. Perfectly fine, but again, it's it's weird. These films are like a hundred, hundred and seven minutes long, both of them, I think, and that's too long for this. If he if he did like a seventy to eighty minute run on these, they would be just perfect, I think. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, so I think that's where the failings are on this in the Machete films. But I gotta say, man, there was a lot of good inside jokes, and I, I did I did get a kick out of <laughs> I did get a kick out of a few moments. I'm not gonna lie. So. Uh, that's all I watched. Yeah, that that's it, man. Got a lot in. Uh, it's a good week. It is. It is. I, I admire the fact that you got one in because I've moved before and I don't remember doing anything but unboxing, boxing, boxing. <laughs> so, all right, we're gonna take a short break. We're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about Jodorowsky's Dune, one of the most anticipated films of the year for both of us. So we'll be back right after this. Cinema Diabolica is a different kind of underground and horror cult movie show. Completely different. Check it out for yourself at cinemadiabolica.com.
right, everybody, welcome back. Yeah, get, we're getting funky there. Wow. Hey, I'm getting a message from somebody. Is that you? Is that you sending me those messages there, bro? Yes, give me one sec. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to give uh, Will a sec there. I came in, uh, I came in a little hot there. Um, all right. All right, so that music there coming in, that was from uh, Dynamite Brothers. That, that's actually a black, a black exploitation film I've never seen. That's uh, directed by Al Adamson and written by Joe D'Amato. Look I've out, people! It <laughs> it's gotta be quality. Yeah, stars Timothy Brown, Alan Tang, and of course James Hong. Oh boy! So, so <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just know. Okay. Poster <laughs> looks pretty sweet. Yeah, the average rating on IMDb is one point nine. Ooh, yeah, that's pretty low. Maybe we should check it out sometime. Great title, Dynamite Brothers. I love that title. Yeah. It's also known as Stud Brown. He packs Stud the Brown biggest too. rod in town, it says. Well, that's a great title and a good kiss line. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, maybe we should check that out at some point. Anyway, I don't even know who that Timothy Brown is. Do I know that guy? I don't even know if I know that guy. Did 36 films, though. So, yeah, okay. Anyway, Alan Tang, I know him. Uh, okay, uh, let's get into what we're uh, talking about here. Okay, we're doing Jodorowsky's Dune, uh, 19, this, 19. This is from 2013. This is a new film. We don't do that a whole lot here, but we had an opportunity to see Jodorowsky's Dune, both of us, and we had an opportunity to talk to one of the producers, like I said in the beginning. So this was a great chance to do a review of a new film, uh, something like, say, we don't do very often, but this is it's a privilege for us. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about it here. This is directed by Frank Pavich. Uh, uh, produced like by, by our friend, or one of the producers, Stephen Scarlatta, also known as the back of Forrest Whitaker's neck. Um, so I'll give a basic plot synopsis here. The story of cult film director Alejandro Jodorowsky's ambitious but ultimately doomed film adaption, uh, adaption, adaptation of the seminal science fiction novel. So, Large William, what did you think? Did this film live up to what you hoped? As Because uh, I know this has been one we've been talking about since, oh, I don't know. Like five years ago? <laughs> yeah, it really does seem like it's been that long that we've been talking about it. Yeah, we followed this thing from uh, from inception, really, in a lot of ways, because uh, we found, because we got to know Steve. So, yep, it's very cool. Yeah, um, you and I have the pleasure, the honor of being able to speak to people in our community who are creative and are involved in different film endeavors. And one of the worries we have is that the films and projects they're going to uh, allow us to cover or talk about are not going to live up to expectations or are going to be mm, mediocre at best. <laughs> um, now, I'm happy to say, without a, a hint of hyperbole or favoritism towards our good friend, uh, Neck, that this is an excellent documentary that, as he'd said, is a love letter to... Jodorowsky and Jodorowsky's vision of Dune. Um, I, the film was one that I, uh, the the actual the Dune that came to pass. Uh, I'm I was a little bit young for it to be a thing for me. Yeah, um, I've seen it. But I've only seen it once, and it was a time when it didn't mean a whole lot to me. You know, yeah, it yeah. Just, yeah. Very abstract, but it means a lot to you know people that are a little bit older than us. And uh, I don't know how much I know. Obviously, you'd seen it, but how much had you seen it? 
I am not the. I am not a huge follower of the Dune. I had seen Dune once. I've never seen mm-hmm. Dune again. I didn't rewatch it a bunch. Um, I, you know, I went through a big science fiction phase like a lot of us young men do, and uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a bit of a mess even then. Um, but uh, I was also watching it strictly because David Lynch did it, and I was at that point already a David Lynch fan. So, um, yeah, I mean, I saw it once on cable, and it would be on occasionally, and I would stop and watch some worm sequence or something like that, but it was never really my cup of tea to say. Yeah, it was never my jam, and for some reason, Kyle McLaughlin's face used to annoy me to no end, and I don't know why, because <laughs> I quite like Kyle McLaughlin. He's been on our show a few times now with... Um, yeah, he is. With uh, <laughs> Blue Velvet, of course, but the other one, not The Hunted, what's it called? Um, where he's the, the, the cop. Oh, him uh, and Michael. Uh, him and Michael. Uh, um, the Hidden. Ooh, I was about to say Michael Sopke. If, uh, <laughs> ooh, that would be an amazing film. <laughs> it would be amazing. What's his name there? Free Flashdance. Uh, oh, Michael Nuri. Him and Michael Nuri, buddy cops. Yeah, The, the Hidden. That's yeah, aliens with the taste for exotic Italian cars. Directed by um, good old Jack Shoulder there, boy. Good old Jack Shoulder there, boy. <laughs> directed part two of uh, a rather butch, directed a rather butch film. The second in the series that we're all very familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I, I didn't see it a whole lot. So I wasn't really, I wasn't approaching this as a fan of Dune or the material. Because I never really read those books. I was more of a horror book kind of guy, Barker mm-hmm. and yep. Koontz and King and and the like. Dan, uh, what's his name, wrote Carrie and Comfort. Anyway, I can't remember. Uh, Dan Simmons. Yes, there you go. Um, so, yeah, I was more approaching this as a Jodorowsky fan and as a Stephen Scarlatta fan. And uh, this film was called unfilmable not the documentary of course but the source material was called unfilmable by a lot of people and and they talk about this early in the documentary and i think one of those things this documentary you and i joked about to be forthright was um that it's it's not long enough and that's that it's a good thing in that it leaves you wanting more because we've seen some stuff that is good but it's a bit long and documentaries um because you're dealing with some you know personal account it's not really as fantastical as a feature-length film, for some, it needs to stay lean and mean, right? Yeah. And, uh, and this does, and, and it, it has a rhythm and a pace, and it's, it's well-edited, and we're in an age when documentaries are very cinematic, and when you get a story, you get storytellers on the screen telling stories like uh, Jodorowsky and Seydoux and, and um, Giger and... Um, Dan O'Bannon. O'Bannon and all these people that really it's it's almost like this magnificent seven of of genre filmmaking in a way yeah i think it's one of the most amazing things about the uh um <laughs> i just came across a post that uh also fabian put on the, the a book that he found <laughs> yeah. I, from pet goats to pap smears yeah. i hadn't <laughs> seen that so i apologize for laughing <laughs> like the john john said patch adams approves <laughs> <laughs> amazing anyway our group never ceases to amaze me uh yes. makes me laugh daily uh yeah one of my favorite things about the film is the way this is it's almost like he does build a magnificent seven of people to work on this project he 
He totally does. Yeah, it's he it's totally kind does. of amazing, and it's amazing how Jodorowsky. He says, "I needed warriors to be in this film. I needed warriors." And yeah. uh, he, if somebody's not a warrior, he goes, "No, nah, he's he's no warrior," and he moves on to yeah. the next person. You know, but he just he has these instincts, and that's the way he he lives his life. He he does his art, whatever it is, comics, writing, films, whatever it is, painting. He uh, he's just one of these kind of guys who. Everything is gut instinct for him. So I love the story of the coming together of the Magnificent Ones. <laughs> well, we always talk about those scenes when we cover films, how much we love that. And these guys all have a rich history with us. Yeah, this, um, this film's almost a man on a mission film, or men on a mission yeah, film. Man on a mission film, it really is. <laughs> yeah. And the thing we had talked about is just how there will never be another like him. I mean, I could listen to him talk and talk and talk for hours because he's such a storyteller and he's so charismatic and he's an intellectual without a hint of pretense. He he is thirsty for knowledge, but he's constantly humbled by knowledge in everything he does, whether it's you know mime school to comic books to philosophy to hallucinogenic drugs to I mean theology. He's just he brings so many different disciplines and influences together in a way that I don't think anyone else can because he has such a capacity for for intellect and and for for people and art. Um, it it's really a testament to what he's all about and and uh, there's so many great lines in this too that we get from him and other people in the film like one of the ones early on and I want to say too as I, we said I think it's at the back end which you'll hear. Uh, after this with uh, Neck is um, just how well this documentary plays to people that don't have any, any familiarity with him or Dune or film really as long as they, they, they like watching documentaries I think there's something to be gleaned from that for them or if you're a, you know, a cinephile who loves Jodorowsky and loves Dune and loves all three um, you'll find stuff to enrich the next 90 minutes that way yeah yeah yeah, I think so. I think this is for film lovers and for people who just love to be told a great story. Because Jodorowsky, what you really get from him the most is he is a natural storyteller. Yeah. And uh, not just cinematically and with all of the other things he does, but even in an interview format, he is the kind of guy that can... Uh, I, uh, there's a great moment in the film where he, he has me hypnotized. He's talking, he's talking, he's talking. And then he takes a moment to talk to his cat. Yep. And even then, he's got me hypnotized. I just love that little moment. It's actually one of my favorite moments in the film is is him talking to his cat. It's 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 amazing, and uh, you just see this this gentle soul, this person who has lived a very full life and has these great stories and these great adventures to talk about, and he's so humbled by everything he's done. And uh, I mean, this guy's created some of the most crazy and beautiful cinema I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, I mean, he can still laugh and have a great time and, and get angry and, and be sweet to this cat and, and talk about these things. And, you know, he, he has his regrets and he has the things he wishes he wouldn't have done. But he is this naturally charismatic storyteller. And that really comes through in the film. And I think one of the things that is he's either just turned 85 or he's just past 85 or approaching 85. The thing that I think is most impressive to me is his undying always burning passion for film and for art in general mm -hmm. because it keeps him young yeah i think a lot of times when we get older we get stagnant a little bit 
Yeah. You know, we don't, when you're young is when you're the most passionate about things usually. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and also, you know, and benefit to people, you know, or, or maybe in a, in a way, I think that's because obviously when you're young, you can be very selfish and you can, <clears throat> you can absorb everything you love very much. And of course, I always used to think, you know, like my father, I was like, oh man, this guy has no passion for life. He has no passion for this. He was just beat down. I mean, you know, yep. you know that, happens. and that happens and you lose your passion sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's easy to do. Uh, John Warski never lost his. His was, has yeah. always been there. And I admire him for that because you're right. He's 85 and his memory is amazing. Oh my goodness! I mean, him and Friedkin, the two of them. Yeah, I know. It's it it goes to show you the fountain of youth really lies a lot, at least in part to passion for things that that will carry you into the twilight. Mm-hmm. It's really something, and um, just you hear you know you hear him talk about things, and I again I love so much of the stuff he says because I, like I said, I I really love that a lot of the stuff he says if it came out of some people's mouths it would sound like pretentious or self-importance, but there's never those delusions of him. You know, I think through a lot of the philosophy and stuff that he's he's studied, you know, he's he's very humble. And, you know, when he says early on, what is the goal of life? To create yourself a soul. And just lines like that, I think you kind of know the kind of person you're getting into, even if you haven't seen any of his films. Yeah. It becomes very apparent to you early on. And he talks about wanting to make a film that would be like an LSD experience without actually having to do drugs. And, and he mentions high aspirations, certainly about, you know, making something that sort of is this artistic cinematic, um, a God, like he says, a prophet as, as you and I were talking about, yeah, that's going to be the greatest science fiction film. It's going to change people's perspectives on, on, it's going to change society. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's a lofty goal. There's no doubt about it. It's a lofty it. I mean, goal. <laughs> it's amazing that anybody would have the passion to make a film like that. Uh, and not only that, but make the statement that this is what this film is going to be. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he wants it to be a prophet. He wants to be a game changer. And, you know, if you see the storyboards in the film, there's a lot of storyboard photographs and things. Uh, you could see maybe where he was getting that. Because this, the, the this film would have been a very colorful film. Oh, it would have been something else, but it's almost like, do you feel like, is it the film that was just, it couldn't have been made. It was just too perfect. Like, <laughs> it was, Well, I mean, I I can't see how it could have been made in 1974, 75, 76. Yeah. I don't, the, the, the storyboards were just so amazing. I just don't know how he could have pulled it off. But if anybody could have, it would have been Jodorowsky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I agree. If anyone could have done it, and it's just fascinating because they kind of openly question because so many things went on to be influenced by this, but they kind of openly question if if what if this had a hit instead of Star Wars? And can you imagine that the landscape, how different it would have been? Yeah, it would have been completely different. It would have been um, a real. It would have been a game changer, and it would have been a totally different uh, next ten years of cinema if this would have hit and people saw it. And everything. I'm not even. I'm not even convinced, really, though. If it if it would have gotten made, if it would have had the proper release it deserved, and everything. I mean, there's so many questions we could ask about it, right? I mean, El Topo was a midnight movie. Holy Mountain was seen by people, but it was for long, for many years, it was a Holy Grail movie. For uh, probably, let me think, probably oh, 
almost 20, 30 years, man. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not exactly sure even if he could have gotten this made. I mean, I'm sure it would have been released because they would have put so much money into it. Because at the time when this was going to get made, it was going to be made for $15 million. And 1975, $15 million is a lot of money. Yeah, so, and in so, fact, I'm going to do the old thing I told you I was going to do. Yeah. Where if you want to talk for a second, I'm going to yeah. find out what that is in today's dollars. And uh, so they got $10 million of it, but they could never get the other five. But the 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 fact that he was going to make this $15 million big budget Jodorowsky film, that right there for most film fans is enough to make you salivate, right? Because uh, you want to see what this could have been. Um and it would have been. It would have. I don't know if it would, the film would have been amazing because that's hard to say. But it, but it definitely would have been visually very, very interesting. Uh, and I have no doubt about that because of his history, and the storyboards. And you put those two things together. I have no doubt that would have been very interesting. And some of his ideas, though, I think were just too much for Hollywood. I mean, he just he thinks differently than most people. And uh, you know, there's always he's an eccentric in some ways. And there's there's people like that. He's a very educated man. And the way he believes and the way he thinks and very spiritual. And I just don't think Hollywood was ready for that. <laughs> that oh, no. Awesome. Looks like it would have been an $80 million film, which yeah. is a lot of money for a film as Jesus. esoteric as that. It wouldn't have been made. No way. No way. I mean, I, I just don't see any studio spending, you know, the equivalent of $80 million on a, uh, a science fiction movie. Now, no. after Star Wars, maybe. But even then, I don't know if they would have given it to Jodorowsky. I mean, he was very vocal even in his youth about Hollywood. So I, I just, I think he may have had a steep hill to climb, so to speak. Well, yeah. And when, again, it comes down to the thing that you've talked about with, <coughs> sorry, is creaky. With, um, with filmmakers is the more of a wild card they are, the less inclined studios are to give them money because the more inclined they are to lose that money. Mm-hmm. And that's why, again, as I mentioned later on, Reffin only makes films for 7 to $10 million because he knows what we can get away with and how much freedom he has. And, and he knows the business side of it within that, the confines or the framework of that money. And you're getting into $80 million for something as yeah. quote-unquote unfilmable and, and esoteric in some ways as this with a director like a reputation for that. I mean, it's Terry Gilliam-esque proportions of yeah of loss. So we should say, I should just give people some uh, comparisons. Uh, Jaws, which was the big film that year, I believe that he was working on this, was over budget and was supposed to be a quote-unquote total disaster, and it was $8 million to make that film. So This was double that. This was double that even before they started shooting frame one. The budget for Star Wars was $11 million. So this would have been all like 1.5 times that basically. Yeah. So it, this is kind of give you some perspective of, you know, this and this would have been in that ballpark because this was going to be a major big movie, an epic. Uh, and in Jodorowsky's mind, the epic to end all epics, I think. Yeah. So it would have been it would have been interesting to see what he would have done with 15 million dollars. Oh, man, especially considering what he did with. One fifteenth of that with yeah. Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain was made for one million dollars. Yeah. I consider it to be one of the most astounding films on all fronts ever made. Yeah, it is visually. It's one of the most astounding films I've ever seen. Yeah, the sets were that were painted. I mean, just it just defies logic. It, it's I can't believe it was made for a million dollars. I know. And now you look at something like uh, the room that Tommy was so made for, like. 
think it three nine million dollars. Yeah, whatever but, the fuck it was. It may have been three million dollars, but either way, it was definitely not one million dollars. <laughs> oh man, it was, uh, yeah, it's insane. It's it's but, pretty uh, it's pretty much special on all fronts too, but in a different way. In a completely different way. Mm. But you know, when you see this film, you really get a conviction for conviction. You get a real sense of Jodorowsky's convictions. What's important to him and. I couldn't help but even though I knew all these things to hear him talk about them so passionately, it really it, it's poignant and it's it's um it's very um gratifying to hear him say things like one of the reasons that there was these clashes was he couldn't understand that with that much money that he was gonna need to get everything greenlit and producers and and his quote of saying, you know, I need permission his is was a bit of broken English because it's funny. He's always been known to speak French, Spanish, and English within the same interview. Yeah, and and he says, "I need permission to make to make art." He just couldn't believe that something that he feels is as important as art mm. and film being art, it should be democratized for everyone. The beauty of art should be for everyone, and 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 the artist should have free reign to make that art. And he, you could see that with probably a few statements like that in meetings. It was like, ooh. Yeah, it was, it was, that studio is going to back away pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, like, well, there's something wrong with this guy. We're going to walk away from this. I, I can imagine what I can imagine is Hollywood producers, and uh, Neck talks about this. He they tried to get in the interview. They they tried to get some Hollywood producers of the time to, to get on camera for this. But uh, I can imagine that if he was in those interviews or if they had seen his previous work, uh, I can imagine them kind of turning away from that that high price tag especially in that age because see nowadays the studio executives are starting to be people that grew up watching uh argento and some did you know argento and and Dijarowski and some far out stuff because drive-in fare and cult films have become much more accessible to the masses and Back then, it would have been people that couldn't have even have wrapped their heads around what he was trying to say or do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. You need to have really forward thinking. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's some great, you know, the film moves along at a great pace. Like I said, it's well edited, well put together. It looks great. Um, some great stats or facts in it. Um, how they said that Holy Mountain was the number two film in Italy of the year. It came out behind the Bond film that year. Yeah. yeah. I think that's amazing. That is. I just, it's so wonderful to think of a world where, where that happens, where Holy Mountain's a box office contender. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, oh, it totally is. I mean, that tells uh, you a lot about film culture in the 70s as opposed to film culture now. Yeah. I mean, that, that tells you everything you need to know. I mean, Cinema was such a different experience, and uh, people were going to films for different reasons in the 70s than they go for films now. Nowadays, what you hear mostly is, I want to be entertained, or I just want to watch something big, dumb, fun, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. spectacles. I don't want to think. I don't want to be challenged in any way. Yeah, they they just want... I want baby food. Yeah, people want spectacles. They want... It comes down to that uh, almost that American thing, or, and maybe this isn't just an American thing, but this is the way I think of it because I am American. Of you know, more bang for your buck. If I'm going to pay twelve dollars to go to a movie, I want as many explosions, special effects, and monsters as I can get. Mm-hmm. And the advent of technology makes that easier. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's the way it goes. Um, but the film, as we said, really is a, a men in a mission film, and when you get a leader like Jodorowsky, it's easy to see him round up the people, and that they would 
get behind him because I'm hearing him talking. I'm like, man, I would have gone through a brick wall for this guy. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. uh, it, it's just so amazing because he's such an infectious, passionate person, and yeah. he's the Lee uh, Marvin of this film. Yeah, he sure is, and then some. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's something else. It's um, yeah, yeah, it's really, really something. I mean, even if you know some of the stuff behind this documentary, to hear like how ambitious he was to get like Pink Floyd and and every planet that was inhabited and played a large part in the film was going to be scored by a different, incredibly sort of forward-thinking and forward-playing band. Like, yeah. um, what was that one band, Magma? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. but Man, yeah. they, I want to check out some of their stuff. He talks about how Magma, he calls them gothic and military and terrible <laughs> yeah. in, in the best possible way. Yeah. And, yeah, he's uh, a, that is a pretty audacious uh, idea, to have each planet scored by a different band or a different musician. Man, is it ever. <laughs> I've never heard of anyone doing anything like that. No, it would have been amazing. It would have been crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah, it really would have. And I found myself really digging the music in the documentary. Some of it was but synthy. And just checking out some of the stuff that's in it, It's it really does whet the appetite for... I almost had to force myself to not think what if too much because it's too kind of sad that it doesn't happen. Well, know? yeah, yeah, it's it's bittersweet. Uh, we should say that, that, you know... I mean, obviously, Jodorowsky's Dune never got made. If it did, we'd be reviewing Jodorowsky's Dune right now yep. with this piece. But uh, it is a little bittersweet that, you know, this didn't happen. And like all great films that didn't happen, um, you know, it is it's it's it is sad. But we don't know. I mean, it's even weird to say that, great films that didn't happen. We can only hope that it would have been great, obviously. But when you think about that visual material and the material you see in this film and Alejandro Jodorowsky behind the camera, you just think of how rich this palette would have been and how amazing this would have looked. I don't know if the film would have been good, but I would have, I still would have wanted to see, uh, you know, I wouldn't see that film, you know, so I agree oh, with yeah. you. It is a little sad. Yeah, I know for sure. Um, and you talk, what's interesting too is some of the near misses like um, Trumbull. Yeah. Right. You think, man, that would have been wild because Trumbull's a guy that his work is just unsurpassed. I think for the era. Yeah, it is. I mean, he was the guy in the seventies and astounding late sixties. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, I like Jodorowsky's. I'm not going to give it away because I want I want everybody to enjoy the film, but I, I I like his way of thinking. I mean, he big time. He just this is what he thought, and this is what Trumbull thought, and this is the way it ended up. So. Yeah, he's about, very he's very much a man of conviction, Jodorowsky. I mean, that's he is. one thing I admire about him, and and I'd like to believe that I'm that way, but I know there's been times in my life where I haven't shown that much conviction. This is a man who got the chance to make movies, got a chance to be on the biggest stage in the world in a lot of ways, and yet you know when he when he stuck to his convictions, he stuck to them to the fullest extent. Yeah, for better or worse, right? And you have to admire that. Yeah, you do. You really do, and you have to admire um, that he smokes special marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> the great story was that with O'Ban. Was it O'Bannon or yeah, who was it? The I think it was story? O'Bannon. I think whoever yeah. it was, that's a hilarious story. <laughs> it's special marijuana, <laughs> and doesn't it seem so fitting that he had? Um, I don't want to spoil it because there's some nice little surprises, but his leading man, yeah, uh, 
you know, and just to hear him out chomping down a bottle of vitamins in front of him, <laughs> it just seems so perfect. And then you have to think about what the what ifs for all those people and the ripple effects that all that has. And, yeah. you know, it really, um, really, like I said, gives you a lot of food for thought. And um, so I'm just jumping around here. Um, I mean, uh, we should say that reviewing documentaries is always t- tough. It's difficult because there's not sort of arcs and themes. I mean, you get some certain themes in this, but it is certainly a different beast. But um, Another thing, I think, because this film, we don't do spoilers, but because this film is really brand new and a lot of people haven't had a chance to see it yet, it really is kind of tough sometimes to talk about this material because I don't want to give... There's so many great stories I want to talk about, but I can't talk yeah. about because I feel like... People are going to want to hear those stories themselves, and they're going to get and let a smile. those unfold in the film in the way that's organic emotionally, right. or um, is emotionally organic. If that makes sense. I'm getting really punch drunk here. Yeah, we're getting uh, we're up late. Boy, um, <laughs> there's there's a moment when I, I I think there's one sentence that allowed me to understand just how insane Salvador Dali was. Let's just say this without spoiling too much of the casting and crew and everything. <laughs> some of those Salvador Dali stories are fucking There's fantastic. Some amazing Salvador because Jodorowsky had had to have him in the film. <laughs> one of my favorite story. is I'm just going to say this. I don't. Well, I'll let you say yours first because it might be the same one. Well, just I think it's a testament to, or a yardstick to how insane he is. <laughs> it's when they first in, say, well, "Well, talk about Salvador Dali in the film." And Todorowsky just kind of gets this grin and goes, oh, Dali, he was something, eh? It's like for him to, for him to say such a simple line, but what that means is like, listen, people would talk about Todorowsky as if he was just sort of this mad genius. But for him to be, you know, to offhandedly kind of say that Dali was this mercurial mad genius and, and just sort of wild wild card I, I had to snicker because it's like man you must be in crazy if <laughs> if he's saying that about you yeah. so many great stories in here the, I won't talk about the money situation which oh, was hilarious yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious but I will talk about the one the one where they meet in the hotel with the painting and Dolly does oh, say yeah. that this is a great hotel because the whole wall is dedicated to a painting of a fart painting of a fart <laughs> yeah it's really great man and then they, really so, they show those close ups those pictures and you just start laughing a six meter painting about a fart and it's great because you get to see some intellectual chess being played between the two of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah because these cool. are guys that are playing on a special ball field these these yeah. guys are rarefied air man yeah this is in a different uh, you know they, these these are two people who don't really think like we think so you can't buy the respect and credibility in their circles these two have yeah now people always ask that question if you had a chance to have dinner with anybody you'd want to have dinner with I've always said like Kubrick and Kurosawa, maybe you know, and obviously I'd hope I would be able to speak Japanese or understand Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> but now, after seeing this film, I would really like to have been in that bar with Alejandro Jodorowsky oh, and Salvador Dali. <laughs> would have been amazing. Yeah, it would have been something to see those two, and just said the back and forth kind of chess and cat and mouse, and it's globe trot. It's it's guys on a mission too, and that's a globe trotting film. Like they go from you know. L.A. to like Switzerland to England to France to here and there, and it's just it's all for these looking to track down these uh, these kindred spirits, like you said, these warriors as he calls them, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's great, man. I'll tell you, we get to see some storyboards for the film, and one of the things that's so fantastic is a 
they set up Jodorowsky for the uninitiated to show you the potential of what this man could do. B, by showing you some choice storyboards and storyboarding, it really whets the appetite because there's, there's a really powerful moment with a character getting some limbs removed. Oh, yeah. It's just so cinematic and it's so effective. So effective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I got to say, too, you, you know, we always kind of laugh about. Didn't he actually ask that actor to cut off his arm? Did he really? I think somebody did. <laughs> only Jodorowsky would, <laughs> would do that. And only would I not respect him any less if he did. Maybe, maybe. No, no. He said he would cut off his own arms if it meant the film would be get made. Oh, okay. Maybe like at the that. time, if, if somehow that was tied in, not as if someone making a deal, but if his, his film required him to cut off his own arms, he would have. And I, I remember that, but I, I believe I, him. Yeah, I, I do too. I do as well. I believe he would have removed his arms to make a film, but the, I, I, it's been a week since I've seen the film. So it's fresher in your memory than it is in mine, but I, I could have swore that he asked, <laughs> there was some actor or something that he wanted to, he wanted to <laughs> actually asked him, I think uh, to remove a limb. But I'm not positive about that. I, I could be imagining that. But it does sound like it would happen because Jodorowsky does sound like a man who would say, you know what? I have a better idea. Why don't you cut your arm off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that'll really get to the the essence of the scene. <laughs> man, I'll tell you, we, we you hear about young directors sometimes being in over their heads like Schrader with Pryor and Keitel and, and Kodo or um, – Oh, who are some other ones? Just directors that ended up working, like Hill with Bronson and Coburn. And, oh, yeah. And not not so much, though they were a handful, but just to hear some heavy hitters. But the 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 motley crew that Jodorowsky was willingly compiling. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was looking for craziness. He was looking for these quote unquote warriors. He was looking for. I couldn't even imagine what that set would have been like. Can you imagine <laughs> Jodorowsky, Salvador Dali, and Orson Welles in the same room? No, I couldn't. It's just insane. And how he goes about trying to woo, uh, or how he wooed Welles is a thing of genius. It is. It is. It's, it's gamesmanship, showmanship. It's just very impressive. Yeah. One of the few directors Jodorowsky admired was Orson Welles. Yeah. He wanted him in this film, and uh, you know, he, <laughs> I'm not going to give it away, but it's great the way he he's going to, and, and you know, it, it worked. Orson was interested, you know. He was. He got his man. There's some a great line, an interesting line when he talks that he was he was raping Herbert's vision of the film, and he goes, "But I was raping with love." <laughs> it's just such a Jodorowsky line. It's, yeah, I know. I mean, it, to to him, the word rape means something different. And it's it, the word is different on a plane he exists on, I think, than it is on most people's minds. And yeah. to hear him talk about it, what you know, I'm reading those subtitles. I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> what is he? Where is he going with this? It's an interesting choice of words, but um, I, we won't say too much. There's some books we talked about in an interview with with um, Neck that I think. If you've seen the film, you know the books that the, the books that were shown to studio heads um, to entice them to kind of get on board with the film as investors and to put the film out. But I mean, they're really a holy grail item. Once you see the film, you know what we mean. It they're astounding mm-hmm. uh, books, just very very nice pieces. And um, probably my favorite line in the film is Jodorowsky says, "Movies have heart, mind, power, and ambition," and um, I just, I really love how much of a passion he has for film. Yeah. 
because I think as pure an artist as he is, he thinks it looks like this is kind of the, the perfect um, synthesis or the perfect um, combination of all the arts together. And, and I have to agree with him, you know, as someone on a less, far less uh, scholarly or intellectual or philosophical plane than he is. But I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with him. And um, just, yeah, just seeing him talk about the stuff and the influences and, and what he went on to do in other disciplines. And it, there's so much great stuff in here, really. And we can go on and on with the, with the gushing and whatnot. But there's a lot of stuff in here we, I don't think we want to spoil for people, for sure. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the hardest thing about reviewing this film is because a lot of people haven't had a chance to see it yet, especially in the smaller cities and uh, maybe even in smaller areas around the world, not just in the States and uh, north of us in Canada there. But, yeah, there's just... There's this film does you could spoil this film easily I think because there is this great story being told and we're not even t- we, I mean there's so many actors and crazy and we talked we touched about Dolly and uh, on and Wells but there's other people as well and I'm not going to talk about them because I kind of want people to experience that because I there was a lot of things I didn't know involving certain actors and uh, rock stars and all kinds of craziness. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's some wild stories. Uh, yeah. Some of them, it's almost like, man, is this just is this just showmanship? Like, yeah. come on, did this really happen? It's yeah. so insane. But with someone like him, he seems to yeah somehow attract the most sort of fantastical elements of life. Yeah. There are moments where it's like, oh, come on, man, this is come bu- on, this is bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's literally, you know, it's amazing. That great line in History of the World Part One, Mel Brooks, you know, you're a comedian. No, I'm a bullshit artist. I'm like it's the same thing, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. That's what it felt like because I mean his stories are so amazing. And uh well, what we should say, the only thing I'll add to this review really of this film is how important that this project was to the future of cinema. And once you see this film, you're gonna kinda be blown away by some of the things you're going to see. I'm, I'm not going to mention what they are or what which ones they directly influence. Some people already know. Some people may think they know. Uh, but there was a couple moments in here where I was like, holy shit, I can't believe that. Uh, so Will kind of talked about these books that were passed around. There was 20 books made, 20-something books made. And they were passed around to all the heads of the studio and stuff. And it's amazing. Uh, these books, when you see this film, this book is 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 it's like a Bible in a way. It, it's it's yeah. it's an amazing book. It's gigantic, and um, here's hoping they'll publish it at some point in time. And I can't imagine what that'll cost, but uh, it's it's an amazing. And they're kind of flipping through pages and stuff. But I mean, it looks like it's I don't know a thousand pages. Well, it looks that way, yeah. And I, I can't even begin to fathom what's all in there. And there's these great glossy pictures that Chris Foss uh, painted and that uh, Mobius was involved with. And there's Dan O'Bannon stuff in there. There's Giger stuff in there. I mean, it's just all of these people who would go on to influence so much of what we know as modern, not just science fiction, but cinema. Mm-hmm. It, it's pretty amazing. And I think that's really the, the real thing that you champion out of this is it's yet another moment where you see that Jodorowsky's influence is... It's just so permanent on cinema. And say what you want to say about his films. If you don't like his films, I understand that. They can be difficult. But his influence cannot be denied. So that's that's what I kind of pulled away from. And it's really a very uplifting story, even though it has that bittersweet taste to it. So It's true. Very interesting. Uh, all right. Uh, I guess we'll do make or breaks MVTs. My make or break scene. Yeah. 
if I may, is um, hearing him say towards the end, because it's no secret this didn't get made, but hearing him say towards the end that, you know, maybe long after he's gone that this will get made, and whether it's in an animated format or something else, and just the passion and how selfless he is about this material and what he believes in it. I thought it was really a thing of be a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Just a really beautiful moment. Uh, MVT is uh, the man. I mean, Jodorowsky, it was his vision and his storytelling now about that vision that makes this what it is. Special uh, intercontinental champ uh, for MVT on this one, Mr. Neck. Yes. For, uh, for bringing it. Bringing it because without him, this wouldn't be here. The Tito Santana of this piece. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, he brings it. So it's great. And my score is uh, it's an eight point. I'm going to say 8.5 for now. Okay. Really okay. good piece. Yeah, it's amazing how close we are sometimes on films. It really is. It's almost like it, we don't, for those who don't know, we do not share our MVTs, make or breaks, or no. scores with each other. We'll talk a little bit about things and maybe we'll get an idea, but we never share those with each other because, you know, That's we got to have a little bit of a, you know, got to have, have some climax for all this foreplay. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, my MVT is Jodo. Yes. Uh, he is uh, charismatic. He's magnetic. He's amazing. I could watch him for hours. And, uh, yeah, talk about somebody that would be awesome to spend time with. I could listen to him say the word fart for hours and be yeah. and be just, you know, enraptured. Because <laughs> that Dali story about the fart and his smile is amazing. <laughs> Oh, dude, it's so good, especially when they cut the close-up of the face in the painting. Because <laughs> <laughs> as we said, there's still nothing. As, as It doesn't matter. Since human beings were walking this planet from day one, still I think the oldest joke in the book is an unsuspecting fart. And so, you know, it's still one of the great jokes. So, <laughs> Still a good fart joke. We'll get it by anywhere. Uh, my make-or-break scene, there's a really great scene in here where Jodorowsky gets really, really passionate. And I don't want to give it away in detail. But it involves financing. And it's one of the few moments where I've ever really seen him really get, you know, riled up in in an angry way. And it was really great. To, that That is when I really knew how much passion he had for this project. And because uh, there's so many great scenes in here where he's talking about it. and He's got that great Jodorowsky smile. He has great teeth. So he has that great smile. But there's a scene in here oh, that's yeah. really powerful. That uh, and uh, you just got to see it to believe it. Um, my score for this one, I'm going to go higher than you. I'm going to go nine out of ten. Meh. Yeah, nine out of ten. I'm going to go nine out of ten. The like we said, it's it's a tribute. It's a tribute to the film that all we wanted was more of it. Um, but we do understand the ninety minute runtime. It's actually a perfect. Oh, it's actually a perfect runtime. And it uh, sounds like you dropped a couple books there, buddy. Did you drop your Dune book there, buddy? Yeah, no kidding. I got to deal with get a new chair, man. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Cricking and cracking. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I'm hoping the Blu-ray, it's going to have two discs, so we're kind of hoping there'll be some more stuff on there. Um, but as a 90-minute as a film, it's the perfect length, and it tells its story perfectly. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's one of the best films of the year easily, so. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I would I would suspect well, we might be talking about it again, maybe at the year end. Who knows? I would say so. Yeah, we'll see. I know for right now it's it's up there. For right now, it's it's. 
I haven't seen very many films that would be on my top 30 yet for next year, but this is definitely on there for right now. So, yeah, so good, good, uh, good on you there, Nick. Thanks for, and, and, uh, you guys will hear the interview with Nick and hear how important he was to the piece, uh, uh, right after the break. So, yeah, that's our review of Jodorowsky's Dune. We're going to take a short break and give you an interview with the man himself. Now, I just want to preface everybody, uh, we don't do interviews like a lot of people do. We don't do the professional, uh, sit down uh ask the <laughs> we like to do conversations so i think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation with nick we go in a lot of different ways a lot of different tangents and we have a lot of fun so uh, that's just the way we like to do it i mean we're one of the few shows i think that can make peter o'brien laugh and and a few other people that i cannot believe i can go through my life and say i've made laugh <laughs> <laughs> so there we go all right uh so yeah interview steve on the other side of this we'll be back right after this While the global media is focusing on the aftermath of the global financial crisis, debating on whether global warming is scientifically sound or merely a political stunt, or reporting on citizens around the world toppling cruel dictatorships, I want to know why they're not focusing on the big issues. Is chess a better label than sun? Did Richard Thompson or Britney Spears do a better version of Whoops, I Did It Again? Is Lou Reed or Van Morrison a grumpier old man? Do you think you two are a crap band? Do these issues matter in your life? They matter in mine. That's why I host Love That Album, a podcast based around music minutia. Join me, Morris Brzezinski, as every fortnight, myself and a guest host will dissect a favourite album right down to its bare bones and discuss some of the latest music news. You can find the podcast either on the blog site lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or at lovethatalbum.podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, or just type in Love That Album, or one word, into iTunes. If your heart pumps to the beat of a Keith Moon drum fill, then I'd recommend you see a cardiologist. Failing that, you probably care about music passionately, in which case, join me for Love That Album. And you won't even have to drive your car into a swimming pool. All right, everybody, welcome back. All right, so we are joined by Steven Scarlatta, one of the producers from Jodorowsky's Dune. Is it Jodorowsky or Hardworsky? Jodorowsky, I'm just going to go with that. I know a lot of people say it different ways, and I'm sure in the first segment I probably did the same with the little joke I'm doing right now. 
Uh, might have to cut all let's, that. Let's let's get the official though, because I always say Jodo. We hear Tim says Yodo. We've heard Hodo. Uh, Neck. What is it? Oh man, it's. I think it's one or the other, honestly, because I always say Jodo, <laughs> but I pronounce everything wrong. But Rich Stanley was pronouncing it Hodo. I'm, yeah. I'm putting an H on it. I gotta, I, well, I guess because like Javier was with the J, so I guess it would stand to reason Hodorowski. Yeah, I would think it might be Hodorowski, but we're going to go with Jodo because that's what we know him as. And it's kind of fun to say Jodo, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like it's more cool than a Jedi almost. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we are joined by Stephen Scarlatti. A lot of you have probably heard Stephen before on the show. He's he's a very good friend of ours, uh, been with us and, and really kind of known us for like the last uh, five years of this show. It's going on six years and... And not only that, but I mean, he was part of the community before when Will and I were hanging around other podcasts, uh, like Cinema Diabolica and Outside the Cinema and whatnot. And uh, so you might know him as Neck, the back of Forrest Whitaker's Neck from voicemails and things like that. But he's actually in the business and this is his, you know, one of his golden opportunities to shine here. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about this project. So, uh, all right, I'm ready when you guys are. And I got to quit. I'm going I'm to mark down something because I got to question about richard stanley did you happen to be in the room with richard stanley that interview unfortunately not now is a heartbreaker uh we had to do like three separate shoots and uh i was there for the first shoot but uh not for the richard stanley one unfortunately he was a voice we kind of added in later on into the film yeah one of the things i love about richard stanley when he talks in, in any documentary or anything that man does not blink when he, when he, I never noticed that. Yeah, watch it again. When he, when he has a point to make, he will look you in the eye and he will not blink. Man, it's amazing. Richard Stanley's amazing. Yeah, Richard Stanley is amazing. A lot of great yeah. stories. <laughs> yeah, he's had a crazy career upon him himself. You know. Yeah, yeah, kindred spirit to uh, Jodo. Yeah, absolutely. And like uh, when we shot him and put him in the film, it was just like, wow, he just fits perfectly in this world. You know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into it. Will, you want to get started and let us go? Rock and roll? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I would love to. And again, yeah, just we want to convey how happy we are to be able to have Neck on. And we'll say it a zillion times, but uh, <laughs> thanks to him for being gracious enough to come on the show and give us this opportunity because um, I think it's, there's no secret that in our community and, and the circles we run in, um, this film, this isn't hyperbole, I think is absolutely one of the most anticipated uh, documentaries or films, period, that people uh, of our mind were looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first question, I want to start with some people that may not know where this all started, even to predate the project, but how did you come about being a producer, uh, Nick? Um, how did this all come about uh, for those that maybe are looking for guidance uh, for careers or simply just for the curiosity of, of uh, a kindred spirit like yourself? How they became, does one become a producer? Uh, uh, for me, the, the producing part was kind of by accident. Uh, I, I mean, I went to, I came out to LA in like 92 to go to film school. I went to, uh, I was really, wasn't a, Oh, all right, here's how I can explain this film school. It was like uh, I found it. In a, I couldn't get into like a, a kick-ass like NYU or UCLA, USC, UCLA film school, but I got into like Columbia College Hollywood. It was like in the back of Premier Magazine. So, and we had uh, two posters on the wall, and it was Surf Nazis Must Die and and Fist Fighter. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and 
the director of Fist Fighter was the guy who ran our film school. Sweet. So, oh, so man. That's, so that's like the most GGTMC film school ever. <laughs> yeah. It really is. <laughs> so that was the film school I went to, and I lasted like a year there. Then I, I dropped out. And uh, with actually a bunch of the, the, the students there, including the, uh, uh, Frank who I did Jorowski's Doom with, he went to that school. We all left with a teacher and we rented like a loft downtown and we created our own film school for like a year and made three shorts. And that's kind of how we learned how to make films in a way. And then I ended up taking, I ended up, I was really into like music at the time and I was into like New York hardcore. Like uh, I met Frank, the director of Dune in film school. And we used to always meet up in New York and go see hardcore shows together, like Biohazard and, you know, Murphy's Law and we, and you know, like when the opening bands like 25 to Life came on and stuff like that, there were just these batshit pits and we were just so into that scene. And so eventually, uh, I just, uh, there was no document, there was only one documentary I recalled about hardcore and that was with the Gorilla Biscuits, Sick of It All and, uh, God, uh, Sick of It All, those Gorilla Biscuits and the Gnostic Front. Oh, yeah. And, I was watching that documentary and it was mostly music and it was very little interviews. And there was a, a couple of band members were in there talk. Murphy's law were talking about like how, when they tour, they have to quit their jobs, go on tour and come back and find new tour, new jobs. And I kind of got fascinated by that. And I pitched Frank, you know, I just dropped out of film school, you know, and I used, I pitched Frank a documentary on New York hardcore scene. Cause no one did a documentary on it yet. And, um, he was into it. And, um, I, you know, a couple of months later, we we're in New York shooting it, and I kind of used my rest of my film school money on that, and that's how I became a producer. It was just like I had this idea, and I went to Frank, and he decided to direct and co-produce it or produce it with me, and uh, that's how I kind of fell into producing. I always I kind of wanted to be a writer, which I was writing, but you know, I, it was hard selling things, and so that's how it just came about. You know, it's just you have the idea and now start researching and figuring out, you know, what to do to get it made. Now, is he an East Coast guy as well? He was at the time when I met him. uh, I met him like the first day of film school. He was from Queens and I was from Long Island. So we kind of clicked. And uh, yeah, and then that started like our relationship. It's weird that that film school I met like uh, my writing partner uh, who I uh, Alejandro Seri and I met like another good friend Mike Wang I met like a bunch actually the people I met at that school were I ended up having like uh, relationships for a long time with like uh, working with but uh, yeah and then uh, actually the guy who directed Nonstop and uh, Orphan he was like in my classes like I think he was the only other person I can think of that really made it from that film school oh wow cool yeah. it was that a weird like a pretty respectable pedigree for that uh, little film school in the back of Premier Magazine yeah, Fist Fighter Film School, yeah. Fist Fighter Film School, where the teacher wears a half shirt, button up shirt. He cuts his tie shorter too to coincide with the half shirt. Is that uh, his name, Frank Zuniga? Yes. Oh, Frank Zuniga. Any Frances- relation to Daphne? No. Francesco Zuniga from Gallup, New Mexico. Wow. Uh, yeah, he directed such films as Fist Fighter, The Golden Seal, uh, Craig, The Kootenai Ram. And uh, he did direct uh, The Further Adventures of the Wilderness Family, which is a film I enjoy. I have to say, I've never seen Fist Fighter, um, but I kind of have to now. You've lived it, though. Yeah, I have, because it does have Mate- Mateus Hughes in it and, uh, wow. yeah, Jorge Rivero. 
<laughs> nice. Or maybe I should say Jorge. I don't know. Since we yeah, don't know. See, there you, you go. Might to watch it too. I never seen it. Maybe she was a chicken. Oh, it's got like it's got like the greatest title. I mean, that's the simplest no. you put it. I was going to ask you. It was a bad pun, but I was going to ask you at one point. You got you got kicked out of school. What did you do? Get in a fist fight? You know, oh no! I just kind of it just wasn't <laughs> wasn't a very good film school. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you followed your dream, man. There's a lot yeah, of us. Exactly. I mean, what am I going to do? I can't. You know, I, I don't have the grades to get into the best film schools, but you know, I got the. You know, it's the only thing I I felt like I could do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm terrible at jobs, but <laughs> you know, creating and you know, I I got the passion for it, so I just you know. Yeah. So let's get in a little bit more detail about this project in particular. Now, kind of give us a background of what led you into this project in particular. Yeah. This, yeah, this one. Yeah, this one's been with me for a while. Like now, like really looking back at it, um, I was huge, huge fan of David Lynch's Dune because um, like, it came out. You know, I, I was obsessed with Star Wars as a kid, and right. after Return of the Jedi, it was you know knowing that Dune was going to be the next Star Wars. You know, through you know, I was a big reader of Starlog and Fangoria and the newspaper. You know, I always read the movie section of the newspaper, mm-hmm. and. Um, I knew of Dune because my mom used to always get these book of the month clubs pamphlets with giant worms on them. And I used to always rip out those pictures. And so, um, cause I loved monsters and I loved those worms. Right. And then, so eventually Dune came out and, um, I watched it and I didn't really understand it. I, it wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting more Star Wars, but it was just uh-huh. weird. But I don't know, for some reason it was in my head that I was supposed to like it. So I just kept watching it over and over and over again. I taped it on Betamax and I just kept watching it and watching it. And then it came on cable and my dad would keep watching it. So I'd watch it with him. And then, I don't know, man, I just became obsessed with it because I just, I always liked Flash Gordon because of the world. It felt so, it just felt different. And so did this world. It just felt different because I love sci-fi and I love the world building. And I'd never seen a world like the one in Dune, you know? And so... Just little by little, you know, and I never understood it. And I just watch it over and over again. Maybe that's, you know, the thing that kept drawing me into it. And so for years, I was fascinated with that film. And then when we fast forward to, like, when I was in film school in the early 90s, um, you know, I I was just kind of, I wasn't falling out of horror. It was just like, I remember I just saw Hellraiser 3 at the Man's Training's Theater. And I was just, I was kind of disappointed in it compared to Hellraiser 2. It was just like horror was just kind of, going in this different direction and i was all i ate up in the 80s was was action and horror and now all of a sudden i don't know horror was just taking on this weird tone like everyone you know it was kind of on its way out and um i don't know i just i guess i, I just kept kind of trying to watch different types of films i i guess i was watching animal going films because they were just nice. different yeah like i just i finally started going to the foreign section mm. And uh, then that's when I kind of saw Santa Sangre. And at the time, like I saw every Dario Gento movie I can get my hands on. And then I saw Claudio Gento's name on this on this VHS. And um, I rented it. And that movie just blew my mind. I've never seen anything like it at the time. You know, because I was expecting a horror film or Gento's name on it. But right, it was sure. just, it was like, what is that film? <laughs> you know, there, there is those horror elements, the stabbing, which... I think is fully Claudio Agento. Yeah, fully Giallo. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, his his pepperings in there. And uh, it became that movie, like, you know, when you're in college and, you know, when you have friends that come over, you have to show them that movie. And that's what Santa Sangre became. And then that was my introduction to Jodorowsky. And then 
years later when I was finally, you know, I had like a job where I was able to use, you know, in the 90s, I had a job where I was able to use the computer a lot and internet because I really didn't have one at my house. I just kept, re- I get the only, per- I would just always look up Jordorowski and I'd just keep up with him through IMDB. And then I came across the symbol that grows website. And that's all you could really find of him online back then. And on the symbol that grows website was the first time I saw uh, that he was going to do Dune. And that's when my head pretty much like almost exploded because I was just <laughs> getting into this filmmaker. You know, I was, that was the time when, you know, you had to put on the Indiana Jones fedora and you had a freaking hunt for his films. And <laughs> Oh, yeah, they were hard, hard, hard to get them. Right. But how awesome was it when you found them? Oh, it was like you said, it was like nothing else that was out there or still is out there. And Rick and I had a pretty uh, lengthy conversation about that the other night. Just people always say there'll never be another X, Y, Z, but there will never be another one of him because of what he brings to the table um, as far as education, his philosophy, the different disciplines of art and thinking that he subscribed to throughout the years and to put this into a cauldron and well he really is an alchemist and it's uh it sounds kind of um pretentious to say but i really do think that and yeah yeah i agree he is an original i mean he is a there are very few filmmakers you could probably name maybe 10 filmmakers you could think of that probably could never be duplicated and even yeah. then, some of those people have tried to duplicate, but I don't know if anybody's ever tried to duplicate Jodorowsky. <laughs> yeah, we were saying that. We couldn't think of anyone that has even even bothered to try to duplicate him because it's just you can't. Like, how do you duplicate the brilliant kind of lunacy? It's it's impossible. You know, it just becomes a muddled, incoherent, pretentious mess. And I don't even think anyone wants to step up to the plate to try to swing at that. Yeah. No, I think you nailed it when you said that he's an alchemist. You act absolutely like I mean, he's putting his alchemy to film, and it's it's a really interesting, you know, going to that. Like, I mean, to fast forward, but in like one of the Jorowski's Dune storyboards, there's this weird after Jess, Lady Jessica takes like the water of life. There's this weird psychedelic trip out scene, and underneath the patterns of the trip out scene in the storyboards is actually alchemist elements how to do the sequence. Oh wow. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, that's an alchemist. <laughs> you're right. He's it's like amazing. The closest thing you're going to get to. That is amazing. Yeah. It, it must have felt for you, not to digress off our questions too much, but it must have almost felt like, not to overstate it, but like destiny or serendipity that Dune had been such a part, uh, such a large part of your, your childhood and your formative years of, of film and, and analyzing film, even on a subconscious sort of emotional level, to get tuned into what he was doing and then to find out that he was this close to making this film. Like that, I can't even imagine how those roads converge for like a cinephile and how it, it must just, like you said, make your mind and your face melt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. It's insane, especially when you know the world one day will be able to see these storyboards. I I, I know I don't you know um, I don't think it's going to be any time soon. Unfortunately, maybe not for a few years because there's still no words and you know still nothing out there. But you know I I bet one day these they will they will be available. I can only hope because when every fan of Jodorowsky like you guys looks at these storyboards and just takes their time looking at each shot. It's just like, it's very sad. It's just almost like this was going to be his masterpiece, you know? 
Like it was just like when you look at Fondo and Liz and how he excelled to Holy, I mean to El Topo. Oh and man! He takes that scope and you he goes to you know from El Topo to Holy Mountain. Like it's a big transition. Both those films, like you can see his camera work just improved so much more at Holy Mountain. And then when you look at the storyboards to Dune, it was like he was gonna he was it was his next level. You know, he was meant to you know. It's the word like evolve with that film, you yeah. know, yeah. and that's one of the that's one of the most heartbreaking things too. It's just like wow, we could not see the evolution of this this genius filmmaker, unfortunately, you know. Right. Yeah, it's, I think I think that's the what I take away. The one of the things I took away the most from the the film, watching the film, was it really. It's one of those situations where it's really just a shame that this never happened. Yeah. Uh, it really is. It's just, it's very devastating because, you know, in such a weird way when like he actually, you know, it's like how he'd never read the book and he just chose this project, but it makes so much sense. It could be his next project because it was perfect for him. And you just look at the deserts in El Topo mm-hmm. and this movie is all desert, you know? And then, the ceremonies in Holy Mountain with the alchemist and all that, you know, it's just like when you put it, you know, and then you have the ceremonies with the Bene Gesserits and with the Fremen in this film. It was just like, oh, and then you look at El Topo. It's almost like uh, the Fremen, the desert people. It's almost like the people he's hanging out with in that cave, you mm-hmm. know, years before he knew he was going to make that movie. He was already touching on all these themes, you know, in Dune already. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's one of the most amazing things. about. The, I don't want to give it away, obviously, a lot of what uh, takes place in the documentary for those who haven't seen it, but the way he tells the story, is it's it's pretty amazing. And that this didn't, didn't happen, it's kind of amazing that it didn't happen because the, the story up to, uh, you know, it happening, it, you know, possibly happening is so amazing. It's like almost everything is meant to be. So, yeah. <laughs> so that- it's, it's, there's something so bittersweet about it because, you know, it just didn't happen, but I, I did. I can't remember. Did he say in the documentary? Did he say that he had watched Lynch's Dune? I don't think he had ever seen the film, right? Oh no, he did. He oh, did with his sons, and he was so happy it was shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he was, that was amazing. I love his thing, and he's very just so open about it. He goes, "Well, it's a it's a natural human response. Of course, I would want it to be awful." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think about it. You know, yeah, of course I would. Yeah, he's very honest about him. Plus, you yeah. know, for him, you know, Lynch is an art. You know, Lynch is an artist. You know, and uh, such a trip. You know, he he was the you know he thought out of everyone. That's the guy that can that can do it. But we also can't forget too. It wasn't Lynch's fault. It was, uh, you know, he's Jarowski's. He's right in a way when he says it's the producer's fault. In a way, it was Lorenzo's, you know, right? Yeah, I, I got to talk to someone that worked on Lynch's Dune. And he pretty much told me that, you know, I'm not allowed to say who it was, but every, when Dino De Laurentiis got to the set every day, you know, he would ask them, where are they? And he'd get the script and he would just, you know, he'd look at the pages for the day and he'd rip two, three, four pages out and just throw them and be like, all right, this is what we're doing for the rest of the day. So it's like, you know, Lynch spent so many years working on that film and to actually get to the stage where you're actually shooting and you're producer is doing that you know what's gonna happen yeah <laughs> you know it's a shame yeah he's a you know Lynch was an artist and unfortunately he had his hands tied also by the producer you know yeah it's it's one of those things I'll never understand certain producers it's like 
I don't I don't pretend to understand the inner workings of a of a film being made, but as an outsider who loves film, it's like motherfucker, if you want to make the film, you fucking direct it. You let the head your head roll and mm-hmm. your name become mud when this thing fails because you want to rip three and four pages out at a time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like someone standing behind someone and taunting a firing squad going, shoot us, shoot us, your pussies. And then standing behind like a live body. Yeah. Like, oh shit, what do you think is going to happen? That guy's going to get riddled. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's hurting your art. Yeah. And yeah. legacies and everything else. It's just amazing, the Dune story itself. You know, it's amazing that this is the life it's had. The the novel being such a you know important piece of science fiction and then crossing hands with Jodorowsky and, and all these these insane, not insane in the way that they're actual, they're actual sanity, but these great casting Eclectic choices and, yeah, this, and all these things that happen, Dan O'Bannon, all these things coming together. And then how it ends up in Dino De Laurentiis' daughter's hands and in, in David Lynch's hands. Of all people, David Lynch. I mean, it's just, it's, every time I think about Dune, I always think to myself, because every time I think about David Lynch, I always think about all of his films, but Dune never comes to mind for me. No, me neither. But yeah. that's because I'm thinking of, quote, unquote, David Lynch. I'm not thinking mm-hmm. of, you know, the fact that he tried, uh, I guess as an experiment, or I don't know what it was for him, but uh, I guess, you know, he wanted to make something big like that. So, and, you know, it, it, you won't hardly ever see that again. I mean, the, those those days are gone. You won't see, I don't think you'll see people uh, gamble on uh, directors like uh, Lynch on a big budget film like that ever again. Not unless they've at least had one big, big hit to back it up commercially, like a yeah. Cameron or someone. It's a good point because he had Elephant Man. And what's so weird, too, if you look at it, it's like he was courted by Lucas and Spielberg and them to do Return of the Jedi. You know? <laughs> I know. It's crazy. <laughs> so, you know, like, you know, and, but Lynch wanted to do Ronnie Rocket next. Yeah. And he couldn't. So, you know, in, you know, in a weird world, in an alternative universe, if he did Return of the Jedi, Return of the Jedi, no matter what, it's going to be a hit. He could have, you know, his career would have been totally different, mm. you know, but he chose, you know, Dino De Laurentiis chose Lynch because of the elephant man. They liked how he, they, he, he, he had the audience care for that character crying at the end of that film. Right. And they wanted to bring someone in that, that can really do the character work of that, of that of that film, so that I know that was their their reason that they chose him. But then you know you get the artist, and then you pretty much, you know, you don't let him do his art. You know, you don't let him do his thing. Crazy. You know? It's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of uh, you know because you know Lynch's real ver you know his the theatrical version of his you know there was supposed to be another version that was supposed to come out on VHS. It was supposed to be four hours. And that version is that I believe that might be his real, real director's cut has never been released. The TV version is now in Smithy version, but um, yeah, that, that, that's a shame too. I, I hope one day that gets resurrected. I was hoping this documentary will resurrect that, but yeah. we'll see. It might, I mean, you know, crazier things have happened. I, you know, I, I think with the, the physical media world becoming more and more niche, I think, you know, you might see releases more and more of those. I mean, I never thought we'd see the, uh, the full release of uh, what is it, Clive Barker's uh, Nightbreed or whatever it is? Yeah, oh, that's yeah. Right. that cut was touring around everywhere. Yeah, now it's going to be coming out on disc and stuff. So I mean, uh, and he didn't even think it would ever come out. So it's it you know, stranger yeah. things have happened. So let's hope so. I mean, I would definitely be interested in seeing that cut. There's no doubt about it. 
Yeah, that and the the the, the two hour thirteenth warrior cut too. I'd mm. love to see oh, the, yeah. yep. the the original Eaters of the Dead cut. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Before Crichton recut it, that's another one. But talk about those forever. <laughs> yes, we could. We could. Yes. Um. So, I, you know, how easy or difficult was it to get the parties involved to partake in the film? I mean, you have uh, let's let's name some names here. You got obviously you Jared Warski, and you got his son. Uh, it says, uh, Brontus. Brontus is in here. Geiger. Yeah, or Geiger. Geiger. <laughs> this is good. Hey, Geiger, listen to me. <laughs> That's fine. Dude, I was calling him Geiger all the way up till we shot this film. Now I call him Geiger because I got corrected so many times. But you know, I'm right <laughs> on saying Geiger. <laughs> I got I, I to say, hey, Geiger, he, he, he sounded ill in this, uh, you know, in this film. You know, he just passed away recently, for those who don't yeah. know. And yeah. uh, I don't know what kind of shape he was in, and I don't know if you were there or present in his museum or wherever he does his interviews. He usually does his interviews in his, I think he does it in his museum typically around his work. But yeah, that was I was yeah I was there for that, and I was very 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 lucky and humbled to be there because I've been a fan of Giger. Like you guys remember, you guys remember like Shadow Theater and This Is Horror when he used to be on like the eighties, like on and I think it was on MTV or USA Network. USA Network had Shadow Theater hosted by Robin England. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's when I first learned about Giger because I, I used to video, I used to tape that show all the time because it was just all about horror. You know, that's how awesome the eighties was, and uh, that's when I first learned about Giger because of the the he went through the uh, they went through the making of Poltergeist too and how. He created the tequila worm that grows inside Craig T. Nelson's body. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like, I'll, I, I might have that that segment. I'll have to. Yeah, I can send it to you. Yeah, it's really yeah, cool. That's, cool. that's how I first learned about him when I was a kid and through Fangoria. And I just was always a fan of his. And uh, God, yeah, that was. I'm very lucky to have to have been there. And that was the cool thing about his museum was. Uh, first off, we shot in his museum, and you know, everyone that was day, there that day didn't expect, but they got to see him. So you could just see these people's face light light up, and his museum was just filled with a lot of like production stuff that he did that never got made, and that's like a whole other chapter oh, of wow. film, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, sure like, we'll get a more extensive Giger documentary someday. Yeah, about oh, the stuff that didn't get made because I know he's worked on a lot of stuff, and uh, they oh. you know never saw the light of day. So, or even like the Walter Hill movie Supernova. Before it was Supernova, it was Dead Star, and it was supposed to be directed by William Malone, and it was a straight up before event, way before Event Horizon. It was like a straight up Hellraiser in space. Yeah, and you gotta and then look up the creature design for that one. It's terrifying, and unfortunately, that movie turned. What was into, that again? I'm gonna look it up. It's called Dead Star, but unfortunately, <laughs> it just kept changing and changing and changing until it turned into Supernova. And and that was just it, it. It was just so far removed from the original concept. But uh, yeah, Dead Star, uh, Giger, and you could see like this creature. This it, it looks like it's supposed to be hell in space. And the creature design for that for that monster is just like wow, that's a terrifying creature. <laughs> He's always been such an intimidating presence, even on camera. To me, Giger, he just you know I don't yeah, know. I, agree. If, I don't know if it's because yeah. the all black he wears or. The kind of gruffness of his, his voice, or his work, or just the kind of directness—maybe the kind of mystery of him. Yeah, uh, yeah, he looks like you know, kind of looks ghoulish. You know, it works. Yeah, with him. yeah. He's but, an interesting yeah, guy, or was an interesting fellow. Yeah, there'll be and like what we said about Joe Rosso, there'll be never anything like him. And just thank I agree. God, 
thank God he was discovered. You know, he changed like film forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the major influences. I mean, he's. It's kind of like when people ask me why I like Rob Bottin so much, and the reason why I like Rob Bottin so much is he hasn't. You know, he's done a lot, but he. You know, he's always wanted to direct films and stuff, and he's kind of off the map all the time. But I mean, this the few things that Rob Bottin has been involved in have influenced so many people. He's yeah. just such an influential character. So, and that's Giger, cool. Giger is the same way to me. I mean, he just you know, yeah. Modern film has been changed by Giger. So, well, I think too because he's a craftsman who deals with sort of tactile things. We're seeing that less and less with the advent of technology. So again, it isn't hyperbole to say there will never be another like him. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, he was there on on the Alien sets, like he was carving, sculpturing those sets. Yeah. You know, he's not yeah. just some artist who's going to draw it and be like, eh, now, now you take it and do it. But nah, man, he was there. Those sets hold up astoundingly well. Yeah, they do. But So was everybody, though, were they pretty much a... Did you guys have anybody you couldn't get uh, into the film? Or that, that you, you can even get? talk about. Or that you can talk uh, about, yeah. Um, yeah, we tried to get Mobius, but unfortunately he was, he was sick. Yeah. Um, that was that was a, that was a shame. Um, yeah, it was a big shame. Um, we, I, I, you know what? I don't have their names exactly, but I spent quite a long, long time just researching people like that were in the studio system in the seventies. I mean, a lot of them passed away, mm-hmm. but you know, just I wanted. I was just trying so hard to find someone that might have seen these books, right? Mm-hmm when they were coming through the studio system. But, you know, even when I get to a producer, I just could never get them to agree to be in this film, wow. unfortunately. And that was one of, that was one of the, and then that's when I, I, I came up, you know, kind of all thought about other people we can get. And that's why we have Gary Kurtz in the film. Cause we just want to at least have some type of Hollywood. We don't, we want to just, we want to just be so positive. You know, the movie just can't be all about like, this was going to be the greatest movie ever. We just really need some, you know, realistic Hollywood, you know, got to get the point of view from Hollywood. Why? <laughs> Why yeah. was this little crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wish, you know, I could have found one of those studio heads or producers would have just agreed to be in it. But um, at least we got Gary Kurt. So yeah, that was kind of cool. But that, that was kind of, that was, that was a disappointing for me. <laughs> yeah. It's a great selection of folks, though. I mean, everybody has uh, really nice things to say about the working on the project, and it's nice to have those bits and pieces from uh, Dan O'Bannon, although, you know, Dan O'Bannon, he's not in the film, actually, but his voice is, and he was always kind of, he, he was always a great interview, Dan O'Bannon. He always had uh, very interesting things to say, and a very passionate man, Dan O'Bannon, so. Absolutely, and I'm happy that a new audience is, our new audiences right now are, are, are going to be able to... Um, or introduced to him now because yeah. he's another yeah. one of those guys. He didn't do a whole lot, but his hands Very are all over modern cinema. Yep. It's, it's insane. Directed my favorite horror film of all time. Yeah. Yeah. It's God, man. Yeah. It's one of the, yeah, it's one of the best horror films. And then you, you know, then you even forget like, you know, blue thunder is pretty freaking cool script. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And dead and buried is one of the most underrated horror films of the eighties. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, and, and for a second there, he was going to do a Gremlins film, um, a World War II Gremlins film with Ron Schick. And just I think did about not it. know that that would be amazing. 
Yeah, I think then I think a lot of that turned into that heavy metal when he when heavy metal like you could see I could see some of it in that heavy metal segment he did with the World War II pilots going down. Yeah, yeah, on the island. Uh, and, and yeah, think about him and Ron Shulset, um did Alien and Total Recall, you know, together, and you know, Total Recall again, another incredible film you yeah. know it's yep. amazing it's amazing it's uh like i said he, he's not he hasn't been involved in too much stuff but the stuff he has been been involved in is heavy hitters yeah it's just so impactful it's amazing yeah he pretty much made um he was pretty much a co-director on dark star he did so much of that yeah, he did do a lot of that yep. it's, it's insane you yeah. know and then he when he came back after doing dune to make some extra money he had to actually work on star wars like um those scenes when those, you know, the, he was working on all those, uh, those, the monitor scenes when they're looking at the death star or something that was all him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's even involved in something like that, which is, you know, obviously one of the most influential things of all time. So it's amazing. Just Dan O'Bannon. And a lot of people know him. I mean, film lovers know him, but I mean, I think that, you know, as time's gone on, he's become more and more appreciated. And, uh, sadly, you know, he passed away, uh, you know, a few years back and, yeah. It's such a shame because he was, you know, like a great star. I just, I loved interviews with him, and I know he could be difficult and stuff. I've, I've read stories that he could be uh, a difficult personality, but uh, you know, thank, thank, thank God we had Dan O'Bannon. Yes, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Um, I know a lot of our listeners, and us included, are going to be very curious about this. Uh, how much? Because you and I, we the three of us had joked off the air, and as you also heard in our review of it, yeah. The only real shortcoming we have is not shortcoming, but the thing we took away is wanting more. So we wish it was longer, but understandably so to keep it lean and keep it wanting more. But how much material was it that was left out, and how much of that material will be on the Blu-ray release? If you happen to know, um, the Blu-ray release I'm kind of out of the loop with, so I'm I'm not sure. But I just saw those two discs, so I guess they're gonna try to <laughs> put a lot in there. But I know, I mean, at one point. We we not only had um, we also had in the ending we had when Jodorowsky and Sado met were reunited. Oh yeah, that's not too much of a spoiler. But we had more of that in it. But you know, it was like turning into like a Michael Mann movie. We had like four <laughs> endings, and then yeah. we also we also had like a whole like another section filled with like even what is comics influenced in cinema. You know, almost like a shot of. You know, star the star that mushroom Starfleet Command and Star Trek, you know, that's yeah. in the Incal and some of the the spacecraft from the Meta Barons and you know the Incal also influenced the Fifth Element, the scene when Mila jumps and's flying through the city. Uh, that was in the that's pretty much the opening of the Incal and also Star Wars Episode Two took a lot from the Incal. So we had like Star Trek Five, what does God need with a starship? Is like in the in-cal. So there's actually lots of stuff in his comics that was even influencing the film, but we we cut that out of the film also because it just, you know, when you get into com, you know, now that's kind of veering away from Dune. But there was lots of stories and, you know, we just couldn't fit in because they were probably too long. Because they went, they, you know, they also scouted deserts like the Sahara Desert and then in Chile and then they finally settled in Mexico City. And that's when Sado was going back and forth to Beverly Hills to do these studio meetings with the books. And then he'd have to go back to the set in Mexico because they were actually getting really close to shooting. 
right, right. before it all fell apart. Fuck. So, but there was also, you know, there was actually these really cool storyboards. I will, you know, there was more storyboards I would love to have put into the film. Like, it was this whole sequence when um, there's a whole, there's a battle on, on, uh, on the desert planet. And it was like, there were, the, there were these storyboards that like straight out of Braveheart, like there were just these battles on land and the Sardaukar, they invade the Atreides and the first line of defense are children. And so the Sardaukar, so you don't see Sardaukar butchering children. The camera is above the action. So all you see is the weapons clashing. And then you see like a child's arm, some intestines and guts. Oh, man. But and then after the scene, then you go down and you see the carnage afterwards. But like I still have never seen that in a film, you know? Yeah. It's like he and then there was like another sequence where uh uh Piter, the uh, one of the Harkonnens, uh there's a thing in Dune where one of the Atreides betrays them because the the Harkonnens have kidnapped his wife. And so in Jorowski's version of it, um his wife is crystallized and Udo Kira's character is breaking off her hands, her feet with a hammer because she's crystallized and he's going to keep breaking her unless this, unless this, her husband has a machine gun and he's forced to sh- a machine gun people down at a party. So every oh, time dude. he's not shooting people at the party, they're breaking his wife with a hammer and then he just starts, you know, you know, blowing people away at this party with a machine gun. It's just like the most insane sequence. Now, you know, there was just stuff like that. We would love to have, you know, shown more storyboards of, but you know, there's only so much you can show. Right. A couple more. Um, yeah. The other cool thing was at the ending of, uh, at the, at the ending of Dune, the planet becomes a lush green planet. And, um, he changed the ending of Herbert's book. And then, that same sequence was kind of in uh, Star Trek Two and Star Trek Three. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember the Genesis program about an yeah. orb that can create a plant, a dead planet, into a lush planet. So that was very similar, and we had more like costumes and more storyboards from Flash Gordon. And actually, there was a really big sequence in Star Wars we had to cut out. This I was bummed about in Star Wars when Luke Skywalker finds his dead aunt and uncle skeletal out of like that igloo house that's burning there's like a shot for shot storyboard in dune of them you know finding just burnt out houses with skeletal remains and it's like you know just a shot of uh the soldier finding the bodies to luke skywalker you know noticing his dead aunt and uncle like going back and forth it was like almost identical it was pretty amazing and uh, unfortunately, we had to cut that one out. It was just the storyboards were running a little bit too long, and it, you know, it kind of kills the pacing of everything. Yeah, it kind of leads to the discussion of kind of the next question, which is the uh, the books that were passed around at the studios, because this kind of transitions into that. The how many people do we really think saw these books? How many? I mean, how many of these books existed? We know, or we think we know, only two of these. Uh, storyboard books exist now. This is a gigantic book. For those of you who haven't seen the film yet, this book is akin to, I don't know, two shoeboxes, maybe a Shaquille O'Neal shoebox. Shaquille O'Neal with that box. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, that book, I it's a gigantic book. And uh, 
I know they printed a bunch of these up and took them to the studios. They said that, you know, because Jodorowsky says, this is my film. This is my film. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, which is amazing. If you're a studio head, this is great because somebody gives you a complete movie in book form. So now you can, you know, you can tally your costs and everything. And I'm not going to give away what everybody was saying and everything. Like, but it does kind of bring the question about if this, this these books were kind of passed around a little bit. And maybe some people saw them. But uh, is there any discussion of – I mean, you kind of brought it up a little bit. That, is there any discussion of reprinting these? Or do you know if there's still – there's only two books. I think uh, Jaworski has one. And does Sado have the other? Yeah, well, well right now, I mean, in, when, Sado, when we interviewed Sado, he told us there was – he, he thinks it was 20 and you know, then they got passed to all the major stu- studios like Disney, MGM, you know, 20, you know, believe, you know, 20th century Fox. And, um, so I, I, I'm, uh, I, yeah. So Sado has one, Jodorowsky has one. I, I, I know, a, I know someone else that has one. I don't know if they want me to t- say it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> and almost sold on eBay a couple of years ago. Wow. Wow. Do you know what that fetched? Oh God, I do not. Unfortunately, I'm gonna Google uh, that and see if I can find out. Yeah, wow, you, that'd be yeah. an amazing piece to have. I'm not one really for collecting, but that's one one piece I would love to have. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, and I, I bet they, I bet they will uh, eventually. I, I have, you know, I can't imagine that they won't. But you know, I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't think it's gonna be anytime soon, unfortunately. But it, it, it will. It, it would have to. I mean, it's. I mean, I was very. What I was very fortunate about is because I was so obsessed with this. Is that you know, I had a photocopy version of it, and I was able to go through it every single day because I had to. <laughs> you know, I need to know the movie, and I needed to you know know the storyboards and and uh, especially the ending matching the shot. So I mean, very you know, I was happy to be like you know going through that book constantly because it was just it is pretty amazing. A dream come true, man. It's like a holy grail item for cinephiles. Oh, absolutely. Because I remember watching uh, Constellation Jodorowsky when it first came out. Because I remember I had to snatch that Fondo and Liz uh, DVD. And seeing that book in there was like the first time, was like one of the first times I was like, wait, what? You know, it was just like, must see. <laughs> but I, I bet there'll, there'll have to be a time where it'll, it'll be available. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I hope so because I think, uh, you know, a lot of people never thought that uh, the Napoleon book, all the, those notes that uh, Kubrick took for his Napoleon mm-hmm. piece, they never thought that would see the light of day. And then they published that. And I, I don't own it, but I have looked through it. It's an amazing piece. And it kind of gives you kind of an insight into the way Kubrick worked and the amount of detail he went into and all that stuff. And, you know, you get to see bits and pieces of it in this film, but. Yeah, I mean, I was like salivating. I was like, you know, how lucky to be Refn, and you know, because he at yeah. one point he says, "I've seen, I've seen Jodorowsky's Dune," <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. "Oh, that bastard!" <laughs> <laughs> and he will be the closest one because you know, I I go through it, but I don't, you know, he's not explaining it to me. I bet there's so much more I'm missing. Like, right? I watch. I mean, I've seen Holy Mountain so many times. I don't, I don't think I, I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I still, you know, and I, I bet there's so much to these storyboards, you know, I, I'm, I'm not getting, it's just, it's insane. But going back to another one of your questions, like the only, I, Sado said it, and I believe Gabon said it, that Dino De Laurentiis had the book. And so, and 
uh, and then, but yeah, when you watch Flash Gordon, yeah. it's obvious. <laughs> and then when you watch David Lynch's Dune, you know, there's, you know, there's yeah. straight up shots taken from that book in David Lynch's Dune. Yeah. There's so many ways you could shoot like a worm attacking Paul and his and Lady Jessica <laughs> yeah. due to cracks, but it's it's pretty much almost shot for shot, you know. And same thing with the ornithopter scene when um, when they're rescuing the workers before the worm destroys like this that. The spice. The first time they discover the worms in David Lynch's Doom, when they rescue all the workers, uh, David Lynch's cameo. Like that scene is shot for shot in the storyboards. But what's interesting about Dino De Laurentiis is that you know even Mobius says this. You can find this on YouTube. But you know Mobius and Gabon, they all you know they all believe that you know when they were in Hollywood trying to collect money from this film. You know, like at any time, you know, Dino De Laurentiis could have stepped in and gave them money, but he wanted Dune for himself, you know? So he just, you know, seeing that it was falling apart in Hollywood, it was, he probably knew it was only a matter of time before he was able to get his hands on it. Right. And that's what's, that's what's the biggest shame is because, you know, he ended up doing it and it wasn't a success, Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, again, like only if. Yeah. Only if. It's yeah. true, you know, one of the t- things, too, talking about talking heads with this film is we get to see a filmmaker we all, or most of us are pretty fond of, with Refn. And uh, although Refn still works with smaller budgets, it, do you know if there's been any discussion, especially since this um, documentary, that maybe someone like Refn could, you know, take the reins as a producer or, or sort of rally some troops to get this film made, or even if it's the animated version of the storyboards has there been any any discussion like that neck about something a project at least bringing some of this to light in some capacity uh from what we one interesting story reference said in his transcripts was uh after he saw those story that's he was working on uh logan's run while he saw those storyboards well all right and so when he was driving home that night he was telling his wife like i gotta get my game up for Logan's run, because I'm looking at those storyboards from the 70s, and I need to, you know, I need to freaking, I need to bring it. Yeah. So, so that was, that's really interesting. The only, the only time Referent said anything connected to re, to remaking it or, or making it is that, you know, it was only mentioned, I think, once, and then we, I, we haven't heard it brought up again, but he was willing, he was interested in directing the Incal as a film. But, unfortunately, you know, I, I doubt that will happen. Uh, but this Dune, unfortunately, no one has talked about resurrecting it yet. Jurowski brought up the animate, you know, maybe doing it as an animated project. Yeah. You know, we, left, we left that in the film on purpose, you know, like hoping that, you know, that would probably be the best way to do it. Or, you know, but, you know, you guys know. At least know, to minimize risk, right? Financial risk. If you do it in an animated format. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like today the audience, you know, like Marvel or, you know, nothing against that audience. I mean, I, I like, I watch Marvel films, I'm not gonna lie, but, you know, that this audience today isn't gonna really, you know, unfortunately they wouldn't get this film. You know, I don't even think they would even get Dune as a film if they even made it today either. You know, it's just, you know, like this film was perfect for this, for this time period. That's what's the biggest shame of it. You know, it was the seventies, you know, like, like I mentioned, like when you, they take the water of life, there's a psychedelic scene, you know, it was just made for its time. And, um, even though 
you know, and it was so ahead of its time too, you know, and, and if you think about, you know, how much stuff I guess has been taken from it now, you know, how, you know, it, it'd still be a, you know, if Jorowski made it, he, I, I doubt he would because then he would have to deal with a big budget and, and a big studio. And I think now he believes, you know, um, you know, he's not into, uh, I don't think he'd be wanting to work in the industry that way. Yeah. And or you know, yeah. Cause he's, now you have to be at their, you know, unless you have full credit and full control, but what studio is going to do that? Yeah. You know, yeah, he's been quite frank in the past about his opinion of modern Hollywood and kind yeah. of what the magic of the seventies was with cinema, because, you know, people were just making what he felt was cinema in the seventies and late sixties mm-hmm. and stuff. Whereas now they're, and he, I know he enjoys, uh, big silly movies too, but uh, yeah. he has voiced his opinion often. <laughs> and I, I gotta agree with him in some ways, though. I mean, I do, I do understand where he's coming from. I mean, cinema is a powerful tool, and uh, there should be room for people to make movies that change the way people think. But unfortunately, those people that have the money to make the movies don't really think that way. So no. Absolutely not. Yeah, he says he thinks you know, big budget movie. He thinks that kills the creativity. You know, yeah. it's like because you have a big movie, a big budget, you have investors, but you're not going to be free. You know, he, he says that you sell your soul at that point. Mm. You know, it's so. like Reffin. Reffin talks about you know if he makes a film for seven or ten million, how much more freedom he has than if it's thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy million, or it's on and on, right? Yeah. He really might. I think he's probably had a lot of opportunity to work with bigger budgets, and it it compromises too much creatively that he wants to do, so he doesn't do it. And he he's smart enough to know what he can make his films for now, and, and does that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, Raffern, yeah, yeah. All right. Do so you have a? Do you got any? Uh, let's see here. Uh, we already talked about the Jodo thing. We don't skip that question there. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about how the film's been received so far. I mean, you've kind of. Been to a few festivals. You've been around a little bit uh, with the piece. Um, how has it been received? Has it been has it been uh, heartwarming? Yeah, um, I gotta say, man, I was really scared while we were making this film because, you know, I, I was I was terrified. I, I was you know I was just scared about if there was gonna be like this huge backlash. And no, I'm, I'm blown away at how heart you know how how warm the reception's been. It just seems like like. A new audience is discovering him now, and I, you know, I, I read a, I luckily only read a few negative reviews, which I'm shocked, you know, and it's got a really high ranking on Rotten Tomatoes, which I'm blown, blown, blown away by. I'm, I'm really blown away by, you know, about, you know, it's the love on on the on the uh, boards, the GGTMC Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I'm just yeah, it's really blown away by it. Like, especially you know, I I only saw it a couple times, like in the theater, with a, with an audience. But I'm just blown away how much they're they're really enjoying it. Um, it's really surreal. I'm I'm really just shocked, honestly. You know, I, I'm still shocked that every time I see a review, it's like positive. You know, yeah, yeah. compared to my first documentary, I guess you know, because it, it was just it just got railed. <laughs> you know, and so I guess <laughs> it took many years to do it the right way. <laughs> the second time, so I was just very, very, very humbled and, and uh, really happy at the, you know, at the reception of it. And got to thank you know everyone out there for supporting it and everyone in the community for being so you know 
so supportive, you know, yeah. like I'm just really blown away by it. I'm really, I'm, I mean, I got to say personally, and I know I speak for Will a little bit when I say this, uh, you know, as a, as a friend of yours, I'm, I'm very happy for you because I know when I was in Los Angeles and I talk, was talking with you and we were just kind of hanging out and just chatting and stuff, you know, you were kind of talking about this and about the documentary world and what you were working in and stuff. And, you know, I, I'm, you, you put all your cards on the table. You just, you, you put, you're kind of putting yourself out there. So to get this kind of, uh, you know, support, getting it back and all this love for this film, I'm really happy for you because I know, I mean, I know what this means to you. So, you know, I got to say personally, and like I said, I know Will feels the same way, that I'm really happy just for you personally, man, because uh, this is an amazing piece. I mean, this is, I know you're not solely responsible for it, but you're a big part of it, and and uh, I'm I'm just really happy for you. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. It means a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a love letter, and it's, you know, and, it, and it's for, it's for you guys, and it's for this, the cinema fans, you know, so I'm just really happy we were able to do it a way that the majority of people are really digging it. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm just happy. It's, you know, I'm just happy people are enjoying it. You know, that's yeah. just the most we wanted, you know, and yeah. And I'm just so happy now a new audience gets to experience Jordorowski and discovers people like O'Bannon and, you know, and I hope like someone like Brontus gets, you know, a lead in some type of a, Hollywood film. I just love to see that. He seems like such a cool actor, and yet I just hope people get it, you know, more acknowledgement over this, especially this younger audience. You know, when I was telling people what I was working on for so many years, Jodorowsky's Dune, they thought I was talking another language. They <laughs> you know what Jodorowsky was, and a lot of people don't even know what Dune was. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you got a whole, double whammy. <laughs> you got a whole generation of kids coming up now who don't know what Dune is. When I was growing up in the 70s, uh, you know, the Dune books were on my bookshelves at home. Not that I was reading them. My mom was a huge reader, and, and she was reading Dune. And I was – so I knew about Dune before I knew anything about movies, really. I mean, I, you know, I saw these book covers, these these dog-eared paperbacks on my shelf and stuff. And now I think, you know, I, I could probably go out and talk to 10 kids between the ages of 8 and 14, and they might not even know what Dune is. Absolutely. <laughs> I know, right? It's amazing. It's amazing. Even, uh, what about even Adan uh, Jodorowsky? Is he still acting? Do you know, Nick? Because I kind of, I've been listening to a lot of his music uh, since we, we covered Santa Sangre some time ago. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I know he, he did the music for his new film. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I really dig his music, man. I was that his album, um, Amador, uh, pretty much on a loop for a couple months, man. It's cool. Oh, actually, I never, I haven't listened to it. I have to check that out. I, I know he was trying to get a project off the ground. I'm not sure if they did or not. I know they, they would, him and, um, I'm going to say her name wrong, is Asia Argento? Asia Argento? Mm-hmm. Asia oh, yeah, Asia Argento, yeah. I, I believe they were trying to get a project off the ground for a little while, but. Interesting we'll, bedfellows. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> Wow, that's cool. Um, we were going to ask you how much of a fan of Jodo's you were, but I think we know in speaking <laughs> how much of a fan you were. Um, but I think what we want to know then is this was a love letter. What's next for you production-wise? Is there something on the horizon that you can talk about? Or or if not, what sort of thing are you looking to to get into uh, as your next project? Um, I, yeah, I got, a, I, got a couple, I got a couple things I'm working on. Well, I want to... I definitely am. I definitely 
I'm going to do uh, more documentaries. I, you know, I'm hope I'm hoping I love film and there's so many stories to tell in a film. Oh, and I'm, yeah. if I can just, you know, just hopefully, you know, hope, you know, hopefully this is a good enough film to get to raise money to do another documentary on on film i'd love to do a few more and then definitely try to do a feature eventually would be awesome but you know you never know how this this studios and everything you know you never know how this whole thing works but i'm i'm, I'm working to that right now i nothing 100 percent set in stone at at the minute but lots of lines out there and more than enough projects that i'm trying to get off the ground because i've had many years to work on projects because you know like i've worked on so many i movies myself that i can never get off the ground you know after new york hardcore you know because it didn't do so well you know it was struggling to get the next thing off the ground i spent like seven years trying to get a straight edge movie off the ground but it was just too controversial and then more years trying to get another documentary off the ground and then eventually you know but i was working on this for like 10 years before it got off the ground and you know I was just, you know, still very surreal it happened. Because out of everything I was working on, this was the one I thought for sure would never happen. <laughs> and I can't believe it did. No kidding. That's amazing. And so no I kidding. guess I'm very lucky to have gotten this off the ground because it's been in my head for so long. And just also to watch, the most heartbreaking thing was, and I discovered Jurowski in the 90s, and I was keeping up with him on IMDb in the 90s, and just watching, like, his projects fall apart. Like he this isn't an artist. He was looking for money to make more films and he couldn't even get that. Mm. And it would have been classics. And it's just, it's really, really sad, you know? Mm. Oh, big time. Really yeah. I think it's something time. people don't know people, you know, he does, he didn't, he didn't make a whole lot of films, but one of the reasons being is it was always hard for him to get financing for what he wanted to do. And, you know, I mean that 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 is a tough one. I mean, we got what we got, and I'm I'm glad we got those films. Yeah, but, but it is one of those things. You know, it's one of those things where you just wish, you know, he would have gotten more. But I don't know. Maybe if he'd have gotten more, maybe he wouldn't be the Jodorowsky we love so much. So it's one of those things. Yeah, it just you know, but I can't help to think when you you know, I'm happy now that he you know, he's like he he's accepted what happened and he thinks it's you know. It's you know it's good, but and I can't imagine back then when the project fell apart and all the you know he created this project, brought all these incredible artists together, and then you know to watch them all make a big Hollywood movie and be successful, you yeah, know, it must yeah. have been you know it must have been devastating. And then you know his next film was Tusk, and you can't even really find it, and you know that's just it's just very you know when you look. We look at these boards and he, you know, when you read the first hundred pages of Dune, it, it took me a couple of times to read it. It's so batshit because the world, the world is so lived in. Yeah. You know, that's Herbert did such an incredible writing job of just like these crazy details. And when you look at, you look at, you know, Jodorowsky's worlds that he built in El Topo and he built in Holy Mountain, that alchemist tower and everything. It's just, everything is so lived in too in his world, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. It's just that it's so devastating to see what he was gonna, what he could have done with this world, because just seeing how lived in it was in these storyboards, you know, yeah, it's just like, oh man, the storyboards are amazing. Some of the, some of the paintings, uh, the Chris Foss stuff, um, oh, yeah. some of that stuff, the movie stuff, all that stuff is is just amazing. I mean, talk about something that you'd love to have framed on your wall. Just oh, like absolutely, amazing stuff. 
I mean, stuff that'll just blow your mind. So it's, it's just that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, and and that's another thing. It's just like, is look at his spacecraft. Like, <laughs> never have you seen anything like that before. Yeah, it's true. No, yeah, especially not at that point. I mean, it's it. It just would it would have changed everything. It was it was a a big roll of the dice, and it came so close. It's amazing how close it came. Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It was just like, uh, what did he say? Um, uh, of the animals in nature, they change colors in order to hide from of the enemies, and he wanted that with the spaceships. He wanted spaceships that can hide, and you know, he wanted spaceships with consciousness. Consciousness, you know, yeah. he just wanted a mind inside. You know, yeah. it's, it's just so bizarre. He, you know, at one point he almost wanted he wanted spaceships to swim. You know, almost <laughs> like fish. It's just didn't. You know, there was like no space battles, no dogfight battles like Star Wars in his script. You know, all the battles were on the planet. They were all you know like. Right. Like I said, almost ahead of their time, there were Braveheart battles, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, but even, you know, but actually when the spaceships, uh, there's a scene when Sardaukar approached the, the uh, Arrakis, and you just see in the storyboards, even the spaceship formations. I, I think even the Sardaukar had a different formation than other ships because they would come in a, a spiral. It's just like he had everything so down in his head, like... You know, that's stuff you eventually see in Star Wars. It's just insane how ahead of the time he was with these storyboards. And something else which is really interesting we can touch on is that he had a uh, – the guy who trained his son, um, in real life, he, that guy was like a mercenary also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that that guy was going to be in, in, the, in the film also. But think about it. Like you were going to have a mainstream – by the way, this was going to be like the first French film that was going to be shot in English also. You know, they had help from like England and Germany. You know, they had money in from anywhere and it was just the U.S. money they couldn't get. But if they did make it, you know, this is 70, you know, I think it was going to, I, had, it was, I think it was going to, you know, we don't really touch on this, but I, I really do believe we live in a world with both Star Wars and Dune. I think they would have came out around the same year. Yeah. And I think with, with Dune, it was going to have martial arts in it, you know, and those, you only, you know, think about the 1970s, you know, where were you seeing martial arts? Were you seeing it in a, you know, you weren't going to see it in a big budget movie yet. And this was going to bring, you know, martial arts to a science fiction movie, the Matrix science fiction movie with martial arts, right? Like this movie had martial arts for a sci-fi movie in the 70s. Like that's freaking (laughs) nuts. Yeah, it is. It's so unheard of, right? Because there seems to be sort of lines drawn in terms of what, not what you can and can't do, but were and weren't being done. And to even have the inspiration to do that is, is, is awesome. Yeah. The 70s, you know, Clint Eastwood wasn't doing martial arts. Charles Bronson wasn't doing martial arts. You know, it wasn't until we got the Chuck Norris films and the canon films of the 80s until we got martial arts, really, in certain yep. movies. But our lead actors, every lead actor today does martial arts. You know, Cameron yeah. <laughs> Diaz and shit. Yeah. <laughs> No fucking actors are doing martial arts, but you're going to have this sci-fi movie with martial arts that could have again changed even more. Yeah. Oh yeah. What about the Italian ripoffs we would have had of Dune? (laughs) Oh yeah, it would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. (laughs) But I I was sitting there thinking about there wasn't no real '70s no action heroes doing. But there was the. We have to bring this up because this is a GGTMC thing. There was the occasional odd chop to the neck 
in a lot of 70s cinema. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That devastating move that uh, I have yet to be able to knock anybody out with in real life. I tried to knock my brother out. I don't know how many times with a chop to the back of the neck, but uh, it just yeah. ended up being uh, him turning around and punching me square in the chest. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, that is so 70s. Yeah. That's, that's, oh yeah. I think Will was the first one to notice that, but there's a special sort of kung fu that the chop to the neck. Chop to the neck, man. Out. Oh, my God. It's so right. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. We're going to... Uh, get one last question. I don't, I don't know if you can share anything or not, but uh, even if you can't, maybe like a personal story. I know you've kind of talked about Jodo quite a bit, but uh, is there anything you can share with us, maybe related to the document do- documentary or not, about uh, Jodo, one of your favorite stories about Jodo? Because, I mean, he is, there is a lot of great stories about him, but, uh, you know, if you got one, we'll take it. Oh, shit. Uh, let me think really quick off the top of my head. Oh, w- one story I dug was, uh... yeah, I didn't, um, for uh, Santa Sangre, he originally they offered uh, Jack Nicholson and Angelica Houston to star in it for him. Oh, so that the, the movie would have had those two leads. Jack Nicholson would have been the knife thrower, and uh, Angelica Houston. I think I'd heard that actually. Yeah, because so that he, was who. Because Argento, uh, Claudio wanted them. I think there's even talk of the Brontus role going to Tom Cruise. And uh, wow, Jodo was like, "Nah, we're not having that." <laughs> yeah, that's that was freaking pretty amazing. Yeah, you mentioned that to us. Um, God, let me think. Was there anything else? Oh man, the brain just dropped. Well, you you um, got. Let's just say you got to meet Jodo actually. So that, that's a lot more than a lot of us will ever get to experience. Uh, how was that? Was that really great? Yeah, it's surreal. I, I still can't even believe. I mean, I took a shitload of pictures behind his back of him and of his like posters in the wall, and I, I took a picture of the of the Cradle to the Grave DVD he had. <laughs> nice, because I just had to. I was like, he's awesome. <laughs> like, you know, I don't feel bad anymore. <laughs> I like a lot of shit. You know, we all do. Right? We all oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's funny you mentioned that. Me and Will were just talking the other night about how if you go to somebody's house and you get to their DVD collection, how if you're a film lover, you start digging through and you start to, whether you want to or not, you start to kind of judge the people, <laughs> uh, you know, by their their film selection. Nice. Yeah. And I was actually looking at a house today. I was been house shopping with my wife and I, was, and I ended up in a theater room. And this theater room had a, they didn't have any Blu-rays. They just had DVD. They were still strictly DVD, which already that's strike one. Yeah. All right. Already I'm concerned about the, the quality of what I'm getting ready to look through. But then it was all, it was all just like nature stuff and, uh, which makes it even more shameful that it's not Blu-ray. And, uh, but it was, it was odd because there'd be like cheaper by the dozen two, no cheaper by the dozen one. And, uh, oh, man. just chaos. It was just, it was I, crazy. No, no, no. I get some Captain Ron or something. Yeah. It was all very bland stuff. I wish I could tell you guys I found something like that was totally out of the ordinary in there, but it was nothing. I mean, it was Avatar and blah, blah, blah. This is pretty standard stuff, stuff that everybody would own. You know, Walmart buys that you buy. Yeah, of course. You know, impulse buys, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I I had to look at the DVDs. Are there any other gems in his collection that you were like, what? He's got exit wounds. Yeah. <laughs> well, Cradle to the Grave is close enough. So. Yeah. It's yeah. not even, that's, that's a DMX and Jet Li. Yeah, that's amazing that he had that on the shelf, man. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, whenever I see him now, I'm going to think of that. I think yeah. of that Gabriel Union strip tease scene. You yeah, know? man. 
See, <laughs> Jodo is is such a wise man. He doesn't sleep on Mark DeCascos. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> he knows what's up. Yeah, man. <laughs> Probably got drive stashed away on VHS somewhere, man. Yeah. <laughs> and not the reffing one. Yeah, not the reffing one. He's probably he probably chastised <laughs> reffing. Like, why would why would you steal the title of this great film, Drive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it is great though when you see that. I mean, because. One of my favorite things about filmmakers is finding out what they love. And I remember I read a lot of stuff about Kubrick and, you know, he loved a lot of uh, big budget Hollywood films, stuff that he would never make. But he he loved those big like popcorn pictures. Um, and uh, that's always fascinating to me that he would make films that were like the total opposite of what he would watch. <laughs> oh, exactly. But, so. that, that, you know, but we love film, you know. Yeah, it's like- yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, one man's, uh, you know. Uh, whatever is another man's poison or whatever you want to say it is but yeah i mean cradle to the grave that's you know <laughs> it's awesome yeah the, the, actually the, the i i do like the, the the cage fight scene when uh jet lee has to fight all the ma fighters nice it's, yeah. it's a pretty, i actually like that film so yeah, like, it's uh, fine good enough for jodo good enough for us yeah i mean i don't i've seen it i didn't mind it that much but yeah if it is good enough for jodo i'm thinking i think i might need to rewatch it i think herzog <laughs> might be a fan too man herzog doesn't sleep on the kung fu yeah he loves it he always says there's that famous quote how he uh he says that godard is what does he say counterfeit intellectual currency he'd rather have watch a kung fu film or something yeah yeah and he's another one of those guys who watches just you know i'd i'd love to see his dvd or blu-ray collection let's put to see way. those two having dinner together <laughs> someone film that for 90 minutes it'd be amazing it would be <laughs> oh my god i'd love to see that all right, Nick. Well, we're going to let you get back to your business and stuff. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? I know that the Blu-ray is coming out. Uh, was it? Is it the end of this month or next month? Beginning of next month? I think it's. Uh, damn, I don't even know. Yeah. Terrible. No, no, it's, 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 it's coming out soon. I know that, and I, I know I'm going to pick it up, and I recommend everybody. I'll pick it up. Yeah. If it's ju- it's in ju- it's in. Uh, ju- I'll tell you in a second. It's terrible. Uh, well, maybe not. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's in it's in July. You know, Rupert was very kind enough to tweet about it. Nice, nice. Right, and then I have uh, God damn it! Oh, here it is. Uh, <laughs> sorry, one sec. I'm killing you. No, I'm getting the wrong links. I'm horrible. <laughs> Hold on, here we go. Uh, July eighth. Nice, nice. Not nice. in July, man. Yeah. July eighth. Two Blu-rays. Recommend everybody pick it up and yep. uh, yeah, just. It's a must own, especially if you love movies. I mean, it's it's one of those great stories, and I love documentaries on the making of films, uh, ones that get made and ones that don't get made. And uh, this is, I, I got to be honest, this is certainly one of the best ones I've seen. I mean, I put this up there with some of the best uh, behind the scenes movie documentaries. I mean, I'm talking like Hearts of Darkness and that kind of stuff. I mean, oh it's, wow, Dude, thank you. That's huge. It's coming from you guys. You guys love Doc, so thank you. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, no, we don't really talk. I mean, it, I guess if you listen to the show, you know how much we love documentaries. Yeah, but it's not like you know we're we running around all the time saying, "Oh man, you gotta you gotta check out that uh, you gotta check out that next documentary joint, yo." Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, we do love docs here at the GGTMC, and this is this is a special one. So yeah. it is because it appeals to, as you heard in the review for people that listen, this will perfectly this will appeal as much to. Jodo or enthusiasts or film or sort of cinephiles as it would be to sort of a casual, just someone looking for an interesting documentary. And that is a hard tightrope walk to pull off. Yes. 
So. Yes, that's incredibly entertaining as well. So, Nick, we want to say thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. As always, we thank have. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I, I mean, it's an honor to even be on your guys' show. Freaking, you know. <laughs> well, you know, you're one of the few people. You're one of those guys that have that special key, that Willy Wonka golden ticket, to, to come on the show well, anytime, anytime you want. Anytime. We're gonna do Cradle to the Grave, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you're talking. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. And by the way, thank you to the community. You guys have been incredible. And I can't, you know, like Kelly freaking his car broke down on his way to the screening and then he bought another ticket and went again. And thank <laughs> you, man. And, you know, thank you everyone for coming out and introducing themselves. You know, like I got to meet Vishnu and Scott and Kat and then you will. Yeah. Yeah, man. Because of this film. And I'm lucky I got to meet Samurai over the summer. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, just thank you to the community so much. You guys have been just really, you know, so awesome. And, you know, and one of the things like, you know, I, I'm so happy I got to found you guys and the community because I got so many new friends now that just share like, we don't think I'm crazy when I talk about silly movies and shit. You know? It's just like that. I can't, you know, you know, I just cherish it. And you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for your support. No like, problem. Seriously. Anytime. Man. Anytime. Anytime, man. All right, so we're going to let Nick go and uh, kind of go. Actually, you know, you can stick around for the end of the show, I guess, and just kind of hear what we're going to be covering. You're a listener, so I guess you might as oh, well. Yeah. yeah, might as well here stick around for the adioses, as always. Um, okay, so next week, uh, Will, you want to talk about what we're doing next week? It's kind of your, it was your baby, so I'd like you to yeah. talk about it. I think a director that uh, Nick certainly appreciates, maybe Joto appreciates too. Um, one of our favorites, he passed a few weeks ago, Arizal. He of the one name, uh, he passed. So we're going to do a little tribute episode with some potentially very special guest stars. And we're going to cover two of his films. One that I thought I could have swore we covered. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's got an, an, an opening worthy of neck um, with, a, with a, a Jeep smashing through a high-rise a window um, with a lethal hunter with Chris Mitchum. Uh, American hunter. AKA. Yeah, that's right. AKA. Either or, yeah, Lethal Hunter, American Hunter. We, sh and, we should uh, say that's got some great character names in it, right? Hope Selleck is Peter O'Brien's name in it. Hope Selleck. Yeah, Hope Selleck. We should, we should mention this is a Chris Mitchum, Peter Selleck, Mike Abbott, Mike and Abbott. Bill Superfoot Wallace Superfoot joint. Superfoot Wallace, man. That's a dream team. It is. It also has an actor in it named Yunkie. Yunkie, there's going to be some good names. That's his only name, Yunkie. <laughs> that's amazing man <laughs> and uh and also we're going to be talking about uh we're going to get the introduction finally after what like six years barry prima's finally getting his headband on the ggtmc yeah and uh, we're going to be covering special silencers which is a whole lot of bonkers so <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be a fine fine episode <laughs> damn it sounds insane yeah. <laughs> it is, <laughs> is going to be insane no doubt about it uh Wait, what's it called lethal what Lethal Hunter or American Hunter. Lethal Hunter. Wow, that sounds incredible. That's a great amazing, title. dude. Yeah, yeah I gotta. I want to. I gotta. I gotta track down every movie that's lethal in the title and see if I can watch them all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Find those insane films. Yeah. I wanted to do that with Commando also. I want to get every movie with Commando in the title. Like Commando Leopard, American Commando, Ninja Ninja Commando. Yeah. Yeah. So many. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be an awesome show. Uh, it's going to be fun to get Barry Prima on, but it's also going to be fun just to talk about Special Silencers because it's, it's one of those films I saw when we first started doing the show, and I was like, "This needs to be covered. This is this. There's something. There's this is insane." 
So wow. I never heard of it actually. I gotta yeah. check that one out. Yeah. Silent Hunters. Special silencers. Special silencers. <laughs> but, but Silent Hunters would be an amazing film. <laughs> yeah, what special silent hunters? Yeah. <laughs> silent special hunters. I don't know. Put it down. Gotta catch that one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, but right, you guys cover the best shit, man. It's so in- <laughs> it's like I thought I've heard of everything and then I'm listening to your show. I'm like, what the well, well we yeah, we still have those moments, which is great. That's one of the great yeah. things about the community is we'll be sitting around just you know going to the bo- going to the Facebook group and boom, somebody drops some on us and we're just like, oh fuck, we got to cover that tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. I know it's <laughs> yeah, so that, that's what's so great about the group. So that's what we're doing: the Arizal uh, Double Deuce uh, tribute. Uh, it's going to be fun. We haven't had him on the show since uh, Final Score. Which is, uh, we can give you a bit of an update that uh, we got the master for that. Uh, Martin's master, got the master. master yeah. Right. He's got the master uh, beta daddy o. And yeah. uh, speaking of betas and uh, beta tapes. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be transferring that to digital very soon. Not Arizal, digital. And uh, yeah, it's going to be coming. And we're, we're pumped about it, man. We're pumped. So right. it's going to be awesome. awesome. We're hoping this goes well because we. We would like to do a few more of these, and uh, I know we have a long list of films we'd like to see put on disc, so let's hope that it works out good. All right. I think that's everything. So with that, I will say adios. Metal. Adios. (laughs) Nice. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 